Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody, and happy Friday to you. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Three hours, folks, of the latest, the greatest information you need to live a healthier, happier life. Happy Vinyl Record Day. A powerful day for anybody who's ever spun the vinyls. Mm. I remember this one. Good stuff. (laughs) Do you remember? Do you even remember vinyl, Terry? Yeah, I had a record player. Did did, Did your parents have a record player? No, I did. Just you. Like a little plastic one? Yeah, it was some character was on it. Uh-huh. Winnie the Pooh or something? Sure. Those are the days. Then it all went cassette. Then it all went cassette. We're like, wow, look at that. That is some pretty talented stuff. I remember my sisters, their long hair down to their hips. That was a style. <sighs> Just listening to bread. Wow. Chicago. Mm. The oldies. Spinning them. Oh, those were the days. Good stuff, folks. Uh, We've got a great show for you coming up today. A lot to talk about, by the way. Uh, Honored because our first guest is a great uh, writer, reporter for BuzzFeed, political reporter. We're going to be talking politics. He was on uh, MSNBC last night. Was he? Yeah. In fact, uh, I think he's been banned by Trump. Yes, he's on the list. (laughs) He wrote a Book. I think he, yeah, he wrote a book about, not a book, I think it was some articles about the Trump campaign. They didn't like what he wrote, and so he has not been welcomed back. Well, that means he's probably got some serious talent. McKay Coppins will be joining us. We'll be talking to him about the political world, what's going on, why are we covering people, why are we not covering other stories. Donald Trump, find out about what's going on. Is Utah really going to be a state that will matter in the final elections if they don't go Trump? Utah, Arizona, North Carolina, Georgia, they're all being mentioned as possibly going Democrat because of crazy things that the Republican candidate is saying. We'll talk about all of that, plus, um, you know, just a lot of good laughs and maybe even some other information that's important. Maybe. You don't want to... I actually found some more Olympic sports. You had that list earlier in the week. Olympic sports that are not part of the Olympics anymore. Oh, blasted. I found more. Plus, we will have to talk about um, the last night. A lot of really cool gold handed out to the United States. We'll get into that. Mm. I'm telling you, folks, it's fun to have the Olympics. But not probably the most impressive gold handed out yesterday. No. We'll get to that. That's called a tease. We're teasing that. More, folks. But first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin, what's up? The Trump campaign and Republican National Committee heads have scheduled what one source describes to Politico as an emergency meeting to repair what some RNC staffers see as a floundering campaign. Some Trump staffers are allegedly encouraging the meeting, telling Politico that they finally realize they need the RNC for their campaign because, let's face it, there is no campaign. A Trump spokesperson dismissed the meeting as a routine conversation. Hillary Clinton is not buying Donald Trump's promise that he'll look out for the little guy. Clinton said a Trump loophole proposed in his tax plans would essentially let him pay 
um, a lower rate than millions of middle-class families. It would allow him to pay less than half the current tax rate on income from many of his companions. Trump also, or Clinton also said she pointed out that Trump wants to eliminate the estate tax, which she estimated could save his family $4 billion if he's actually worth what he says he is. 21st Century Fox anticipates a settling multiple... Multiple sexual harassment lawsuits against former Fox News head Roger Ailes following an internal investigation, the Wall Street Journal reports. Ailes resigned as Fox News CEO three weeks ago amid multiple accusations of sexual harassment. The number of women accusing Ailes of harassment reaches into the double digits, and some are expected to sue the company, resulting in settlements. U.S. gymnasts Simone Biles and Allie Reisman took home respective gold and silver medals in the women's all-around competition. Biles won her competition handily, beating Reisman by a full two points. The bronze went to Russian gymnast Aliyah Mustafina. Biles' win makes her the first U.S. woman to hold the Olympic and world champion titles simultaneously. And lastly, Matt reports suggest the NFL is after the British songstress Adele to perform in the Super Bowl 51 halftime show in February, Mm. following her wildly successful year. However... The same report said the NFL is reportedly having a tough time getting Adele to sign on because of anxiety over performing in front of big crowds. They say it's Adele's nerves that are the issue. It hasn't been an easy sell. Neither Adele nor the NFL has confirmed whether there's any truth to the rumors. But there you have it. First wow. sparks of the um, Super Bowl halftime show. So that's fun. That'd be cool. I mean, you go from football to Adele. The problem is they've, they've had kind of the slower... Uh, halftime show, the yeah. music's kind of slower, yeah. more ballads, that kind of thing. It doesn't really work well. People like upbeats. It's a party. Yeah, you gotta, this is where you needed uh, Coldplay. No, Coldplay <laughs> wasn't a good choice. Coldplay was bad. That's why they had five different yeah. artists in that halftime show, because they're trying to compensate for Coldplay. Yeah. Coldplay's going to come in and be all mellow and depressing. See, It's supposed to be exciting. But maybe, maybe what they're trying to do... Is like with Adele. Maybe they're trying to attract more females. They're just trying to maximize the number, so She's, they know that the Super Bowl is the beyond Super Bowl is beyond football. It's supposed right. to be this huge entertainment thing, but they've done this before, and the ratings are lower because people go, "Eh, what's the Puppy Bowl look like today?" And they flip over and watch dogs wrestle. Oh boy, that's well. I feel bad for Adele being so afraid. Yeah, how can you be such a megastar? Skip it. Get Bruno Mars. The man's good. Yeah, but you can only have Bruno so many times. No, you can do a lot more Bruno, I think. I didn't know you were such a Bruno fan. It's just that he has like two or three songs. You just can't help but get out of your seat. You, you can't help but tap your toe when Bruno Mars is around. Or you can get Justin Timberlake. Oh, Justin would be fun. He's an all-around except, showman. Except Justin has a bad history with the Super Bowl. Yeah, just, just don't put certain people up there. You're fine. Just have everyone wearing sweatshirts. Yeah, yeah. Just lock down the wardrobe. You're good. <laughs> Problem solved. Yeah, he's probably burnt for the halftime show. <laughs> um, we've got we've got so much to talk about. Right. Phelps got tw- his 22nd gold medal. Did you see him get out of the pool after that after that race? No. It like took him 10 minutes to get out of the pool. He's tired. He got out of the that, pool like so, I get out of the pool. There's so much of him to get out of the pool. He's so long. He's it's so all long. torso. He also did you see broke a record. Yeah, like a two thousand year old record. That yeah, yeah. I mean, it's a big record. It gets to a, a twenty one hundred year old record. Well, who was that guy competing against two thousand years ago? Leonides of Rhodes. Are you kidding me? At that point, it's on like cuneiform tablets, and it's like, can we really trust those records? They're drawn with their fingers, and what are <laughs> he, they doing? He broke the record. Leonides held uh, twelve individual events 
over four Olympics. Wow, the stone throw. Good job. And he did what he did. He uh, Leonidas raced in the 200, the 400 meters, and in a shield carrying race. Which was one of the hardest races. Yeah, the shields back then were it, it, so I, heavy. These records aren't comparable. And uh, with with uh, Phelps winning his 13th individual gold, he just trumped old Leonidas. There I think was, Leonidas really? was in the movie, right? Trump. There was no cupping back then. <laughs> yeah. You don't have the 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 the, the medicine, exactly. the different sort of <laughs> acupuncture, that kind of thing. I'm sure there cupping. was some form of cupping back then. Well, yeah. It was just a different form. Have you seen the... Uh, People superimposing the uh, the guy that was climbing up Trump Tower with his suction yeah. cups onto <laughs> Michael Phelps' back. <laughs> is that what cupping is? That's what's cupping now. That's yeah. what helps you get up Trump Tower. He's just towers. helping the Olympic team. That's what he was doing. That was huge. And then it was it was the night of Simone's. Simone, I, I predict, will be a very popular name for children in about nine months. Hmm. Simone Manu- Manuel? 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 Won the gold in the 100 meter, and Simone Biles won the gold in the all-around in um, gymnastics. And then Hillary Clinton tried to use the gym- gymnast and Michael Phelps to compare to Trump, and it was just kind of awkward. She did? Yeah. It's, uh, let's see, clip one. Okay, big game on trade, but his approach is based on fear, not strength. Fear that we can't compete with the rest of the world even when the rules are fair. Fear that our country has no choice but to hide behind walls. If Team USA was as fearful as Trump, Michael Phelps and Simone Biles would be cowering in the locker room, afraid to come out to compete. There you go. She tried. Wow. It just always seems it just awkward. Didn't, I just didn't. Yeah, she, Hillary Clinton has a definite delivery issue when she's speaking. You can tell that she has this punchline. It's yeah. an applause line. It's yeah. supposed to be a big hitting sort of statement, and she's building up to it. And it, she either takes too long, or she rushes right. it, and then her voice raises kind of an awkward way instead of doing it naturally. Mm-hmm. And so that that's just her. She as she says, she's not a public speaker. No, and obviously she's not. But you know, it's 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 interesting to listen to her speak. And it's then, like that Broncos uh, linebacker blocking the punt uh, <laughs> on the goal line. There you go. It just doesn't. Yeah, it doesn't feel right. No, it's not something she would say. I feel manipulated. I think her her speechwriters need to sit down and figure out what would she actually say so it sounds natural. Yeah. And they're trying to force what, these lines because on her. apparently we learned that she likes she does yoga. Apparently. So she should use a yoga metaphor. But that was in her email, so That's right. it was compromised. Man, alive. <laughs> Crazy time. Um, Donald Trump, though, made a comment yesterday that is he is he actually dealing with the idea that he could lose? Quickly before we go, you mentioned earlier how polls were, I believe in your words, tightening. Yet the new NBC News Wall Street Journal Marist poll has you trailing in battleground states such as Iowa, Ohio, and Pennsylvania by, by wide amounts. How do you close that gap? I just keep doing the same thing I'm doing right now. And at the end, it's either going to work or I'm going to, uh, you know, I'm going to have a, a very, very nice long vacation. <laughs> he won't say loose. <laughs> He, he kind of spoke about it a little bit more yeah. in depth previously on this interview. This interview was 30 minutes long on CNBC. Wow. Well, that's amazing. Yeah, I don't know why 
one, they, they, they got him, and then they, they just kept talking, and he never hung up the phone. That's really what it is. If yeah. you filibuster him, he'll just keep talking. I think whatever's happening, I mean, even though he doubles down on saying that the president was the one that created ISIS as the founding partner of ISIS. Well, that was yesterday. Yeah, yeah. yeah. that was yesterday. Even though he keeps doubling down on that one, you could just walk away and mm-hmm. let's not make it a big deal anymore. He, I think he's actually having a moment where he's starting to realize there's a chance he could lose. He wouldn't say that, but he, there's a chance he's going to have a really great long vacation. Mm-hmm. But there's also a chance that um, he, he's got to figure out a way into heaven. This will be maybe the most important election that our country's ever had. So go out and spread the word. And once I get in, I will do my thing that I do very well. He'll do his thing. And his thing. I figure it's probably maybe the only way I'm going to get to heaven. So I better do a good job. Okay? Huh. That's a great point. Does the does the office of presidency have a redeemable factor on your soul? Oh yeah. That's really what the well, what the question there is. I think it has a multiplier. It's like a four multiplier. So Really? Yeah. Wow. If you do a great job in the office of presidency, it's you can times your life by positive life by four. Man. Yeah, that's good. Why do they all turn old with gray hair then? Well, because they're they're finally earning their keep. Hmm. Before they weren't. Now they were Just now coasting. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Isn't that it's yeah, interesting. So, so the other th- question is Trump came out this morning saying his Obama and Hillary Clinton are the founders of ISIS. Yeah. This comment was a joke. Oh, it was a total joke, yeah. And that the media doesn't get, so he said this. In our government has unleashed ISIS. I call President Obama and Hillary Clinton the founders of ISIS. They're the founders. In fact, I think we'll give Hillary Clinton the, you know, if you're on a sports team, most valuable player, MVP. You get the MVP award. ISIS will hand her the most valuable player award. Her only competition is Barack Obama. Between the two of them. Oh, boy, is ISIS hoping for her. Is that, that was a joke. That was yesterday. Okay, that was a joke, though? Well, this morning he says <laughs> that's all a joke. He's done this for two days, yeah. probably said it three times. He went on a radio show. The host tried to give him an out saying, you're looking yeah. at this as they created a vacuum and, and just different policies helped to spur ISIS on. He goes, no, yeah. he's the literal founder of ISIS. And it's like, okay. <sighs> and now it's a joke. Mm-hmm. But what you saw yesterday where... He doesn't really have control of his Twitter account. Yeah, no, yeah. Someone else is stealing it so from him. So I want to know, was this tweet from an iPhone or an Android device? Because Trump uses an Android device. Yeah. If it's an iPhone, it's his staff. Right. There is some speculation that his staff has changed the password <laughs> and that Trump does not have it anymore. Because they've Donald. taken over. It's a, they're trying to curtail what he's doing. So now is this his staff trying to clean up or does Donald, is he have a, is he just trying to say it's a joke? And then how far can he go doing this? <sighs> Of saying absurd things for a couple of days and then come back saying it's a joke. Well, I think he's gone a year. Yeah, I guess he's you're got right. the worst sense of humor. I think nobody gets his humor. Man, Donald, maybe it's time to quit making jokes and just run for office for heaven's sakes. We got a lot uh, to talk about. Uh, our guest coming up, McKay Coppins, will be joining us. He's a senior writer for BuzzFeed. And he's on their news politics team, and uh, what a great guest. He's been on the show before. We are lucky to have him because we're going to be able to pick his brain, find out what truly is going on behind the scenes with Donald Trump campaign. 
And why aren't people chasing Hillary Clinton issues like they uh, do Donald Trump? We'll find out from the experts. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you've, we talk about Donald Trump all the time, Hillary Clinton, and this crazy race for the presidency of the United States. But we wanted uh, a true blue insider's view of what's going on. McKay Coppins is an American journalist, author of, uh, who is a senior political writer for BuzzFeed News. He's also um, the author of uh, the book uh, The Wilderness, about the battle over the future of the Republican Party, and is really just a great resource all around for anybody that wants kind of an inside take on what's going on politically. McKay Coppins, thanks for being with us today. Sure. Thanks for having me. Love having you back. Man, uh, now, is it true that you are on the outs with Donald Trump? You're on the bad list, the naughty list? (laughs) I am on his growing list of blacklisted reporters. (laughs) What an honor. Quite honestly, yeah, it is almost kind of a badge of honor at this point. I think around the time he blacklisted the entire Washington Post, it became kind of a badge <laughs> of honor. It's funny. It's funny that anyone recovers him anymore because everyone's on his list. So <laughs> right. what, what's your take, uh, McKay? You're you're just as you've seen it for a year now and you got to follow uh, the Mitt Romney campaign many years ago. What what do you what's your take on Donald Trump? as the GOP representative. What, what, what do you think, and what are the rest of the journalists actually thinking? <laughs> well, it, it, it is all, it's kind of the political story of a lifetime. Yeah. I mean, he, the, it's remarkable. I'm actually, right now, I'm in Washington, D.C. I live in New York City, but I'm down in D.C., and I've just been interviewing uh, you know, Republicans uh, on the Hill and, and through, all, all over town, and it is remarkable the degree to which this candidate has polarized not just the country, but the the Republican Party itself. I mean, Mm. there are a a wide number of, a large number of Republican lawmakers, elected officials, uh, high-ranking kind of GOP operatives who who don't want anything to do with Donald Trump and actually fear that he's hijacking the party uh, and that he's, he's turning it into something, kind of subverting some of its core values. And so it's, it's kind of fascinating to watch. Do you, is there behind the scenes, is everybody just assuming he's going to lose or do people really um, still think he has a chance? Well, so I will say that the overwhelming sentiment is that he's probably going to lose. Yeah. But, but I will say as one of the many journalists and pundits and political types that uh, did not expect his his ascent in the Republican <laughs> primaries. Everyone is a little gun shy about being too right. <laughs> confident in their predictions. Yeah, nobody and knows actually, how he got there. Yeah, right. Well, and I would say actually there was a uh, there's a famous uh, story in presidential politics where in 1992, at this point in the 1992 race, uh, Dukakis was leading George Bush Senior by 17 or 18 mm. points in the polls. Uh, and we all know how that yeah, out. Yeah, So, so it, you, it, politics is nothing if not unpredictable. Uh, so, you know, you can never say never. But I think most people 
both inside and outside the Republican Party, and, and that's including journalists. Uh, if they had to bet money, they would probably bet on Hillary Clinton winning at this point. Yeah. Now, McKay, listen to this clip. This is Donald yesterday talking about the fact that he may have, or recently, talking about the problem he may have in Utah. You've got to get your people out to vote, and especially in those states where we're represented. We're having a tremendous problem in Utah. Now, Utah is a different place, and I don't know if any is anybody here from Utah. I mean, it's uh, I didn't think so. <laughs> we're having a problem. I mean, because it's, you know, it, look, it could cost us the Supreme Court. We're going to have four or five justices put on. We're having a problem. It's a false. I've been given a false narrative. Hmm. By the way, not a great way to, you know, <laughs> get people to love you. But it's not just in Utah, Georgia, Arizona, North Carolina. They're all being mentioned as states that could flip and go Democratic when they rarely do. It's really amazing. I mean, the Donald Trump's uh, candidacy has put, you know, he promised at the outset of this that he, because he was such a different type of candidate, different type of Republican, he would be putting new states into play. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately for him, what that's <laughs> meant is he's putting a lot of red states into play for Democrats. I mean, you saw just this week that Hillary Clinton wrote an op-ed in the, in the Deseret News yeah. pitching uh, Utah voters. That was pretty remarkable, I think, as somebody who's written a lot about not just national politics, but also uh, politics as it intersects with Mormon mm-hmm. Mormonism. Uh, th- that was something new, I think. There, there have not been very many national politicians and presidential candidates who uh, who try to appeal to Mormon voters in quite that way, where she was, you know, quoting general authorities and, wow. um, you know, citing uh, citing the historical episodes in church history. I mean, this is <laughs> it's pretty remarkable to see that the Democratic nominee is making what looks like a pretty earnest pitch to a. Uh, to Mormon voters, that just gives you an idea of how far how, how far out of reach this thing might be getting. For well, Trump. and especially with Clinton, right? Because Clinton didn't fare well back in the day in Utah, <laughs> yes. right? So that's right. Bill, Bill Clinton, amazingly, I think Utah in 1992 was the only state right. where Bill Clinton didn't even come in second; he came in third. <laughs> so we are a weird state. Utah, think of, of 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 the Clintons. What what is it? What is it? That do you think um, that makes him such a difficult pick for Utah, Donald? That is. Yeah, well, I, I've written a lot about this. I mean, I think that the Mormon voters, while they are the most reliably Republican voters, uh, according to Pew, uh, in the country. They, they differ from the Republican and conservative mainstream on a few key issues. Uh, one of them is immigration. Mormon voters, whether they're conservative or not, tend to be more welcoming to immigration. They have a more nuanced take on illegal immigration, uh, whereas Donald Trump, of course, it's been one of his key uh, his key issues. Uh, he's talking about building the wall, right. et cetera. Uh, so that's one thing. I mean, a lot of Utah voters and Mormon voters have uh, served missions in Latin America. They tend to have more sympathetic views toward toward immigrants. Another is this whole issue of uh, Trump's proposed Muslim ban, oh, right? Yeah. Uh, the, the ban on, on foreign Muslims coming into the United States. The, that is just, for a lot of Mormons, there, it gives eerie flashbacks to early periods of Mormon history. I mean, one of the most amazing things that I found in researching uh, and writing about this was that in, in the uh, late 1800s, the Secretary of State actually tried something very similar. He tried to restrict Mormon immigration yeah. from overseas. Um, so there are really, I mean, 
So, so those are two key issues that just don't uh, d- don't you know rally Mormon voters. And then there's also just a core fact of you know he's he's kind of profane. He's a brute. Style, <laughs> yeah, right. His, his lifestyle is just anathema to kind of Mormon culture and Mormon lifestyle, and mm. I think that also really hurts it. Hey, while we're we are kind of on the the. Uh... I don't know, the Utah Mormon candidate thing. Um, Evan McMullen, a graduate of BYU, as now, you know, it wants to run as an independent, is running as an independent candidate. Is that going to go anywhere? Is that going to impact much? Well, I just interviewed him in New York a couple days ago. Um, I actually think it could make a difference. I think it could make a difference in Utah. I think it could make a difference in other uh, Mountain West states where Donald Trump is just not doing well at all and where there are there's a contingent of Mormon voters that, that do do matter in those states, Colorado, uh, Nevada, Arizona, Idaho. Um, so Evan McMullen, I think, is a really impressive guy. I, I talked to him. Uh, he's still getting the handle, got, kind of getting a handle on being a candidate. Yeah, he's never been a politician, who, right? No, he hasn't. I mean, so he has an impressive resume. He was in the CIA for 10 years, uh, spending a lot of that time undercover. Um, he then... Uh, went to Wharton a School of Finance, got an MBA, worked uh, on Wall Street, and most recently has been the chief policy director for the U.S. House of Representatives. Mm. So he's very, he has plenty of experience in terms of policymaking. Uh, he, un- he understands how Washington works. He understands politics, but he's never been a candidate. So he's, he's not accustomed to, you know, giving speeches and, yeah. you know, being grilled by reporters. Um, but I, I, I was impressed by him, and I think that... He, He's serious enough, and he has a serious enough resume. I mean, he's a young guy; he's only forty. Oh wow! Um, but but for some, but but if, I think that uh, you know he has a serious enough background and experience and resume that I think he'll he'll warrant uh, you know a second look from voters. And I think because the the two choices that are on display right now, Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, are uh, so disliked by so many i think that he could gain some traction i mean i don't see any viable path to actually winning the election but i think it could make a difference what what made him run i mean as the third part as as another candidate but also this late in the race where he's not even on the ballot in certain states right no well it's he was actually involved in this group called better for america that had been trying to court uh, they had been trying to draft a uh, an independent uh, candidate. And, um, you know, they had gone through several different people trying to convince them to run, uh, and nobody wanted to step up to it. And what he told me was at some point, I just realized no one's going to do this. Like we need Mm. someone to do this. Someone needs to stand up. He's a conservative, right? And he believes that Donald Trump doesn't represent true conservative ideas and values. And so he basically said, somebody has to stand up for the, those values. Um, and so he decided to jump in. I mean, can you imagine? No. <laughs> the thing that I was trying to wrap my head around was just being a normal guy who didn't have presidential aspirations, <laughs> deciding to thrust yourself into oh, it three months before seriously. the election. It's, it's a you know, I tip tip my hat to him just for the uh, the audacity of right, it. Right, right, and he and he's going to annoy a lot of people because they'll see that this may be handing the the win to Hillary. Right, right. Oh. He definitely has a lot of, you know. Yeah, no. He's already got a lot of people mad at him already. Oh, for sure. <laughs> We're speaking with McKay Coppins. McKay, let's take a break. We'll come back. Uh, just take a, another segment with you and, and pick your brain as much as we can. More with McKay Coppins from BuzzFeed News Politics Team. He's, uh, he's the true blue deal, folks. He's even on the blacklist for Donald Trump. 
which is a great sign. We'll come back. We're talking Hillary Clinton when we come back. Stick with us. to the Matt Townsend Show. On the line with us, McKay Coppins, who's a senior writer for BuzzFeed News on the politics team. He's also the author of the book, The Wilderness, Deep Inside the Republican Party's Combative, Contentious, Chaotic Quest to Take Back the White House. And uh, he's just a wonderful resource, I think, uh, for everybody. McKay, thanks for being with us again. Yeah, sure. Thank you. Hey, uh, what do you think about Hillary Clinton? She's just her i think her machine is incredible it, every yeah. single day we have some anti-trump thing that comes out with a new person a new voice speaking against trump um and then all of a sudden more leaks more leaks more emails come out and they nothing seems to be sticking to her yeah well i i think that that i i mean i give some credit to to her campaign um I also, frankly, think she's really benefited from running against Donald Trump, <laughs> totally. who has a, a knack for uh, squandering every opportunity <laughs> to, uh, to you know, keep the spotlight on, on Hillary Clinton's controversies. I think that there have been several times just in the past couple months where something will happen. Uh, you know, the, the, D, the leak of the DNC emails, I think, was a big one, yeah. where, where that had the opportunity, the, the potential of really dividing the Democratic Party. I mean, the, you know, the already Bernie Sanders voters were upset with her to see that the DNC had kind of been colluding to uh, to hand the nomination to Clinton uh, and that while they were supposed to be neutral. I think that that could have done real damage to her campaign. But, you know, within uh, within, I think, a day or two, Donald Trump is up there saying that he think he hopes that the Russians hack, uh, you know, do further, <laughs> yeah. commit further hacks. Espionage. Yeah. And Hillary Clinton. I mean, it's just, you know, it's like the guy just can't let a good thing happen to him. Right. Without, uh, without, and I think part of it is, I mean, I've spent a lot of time uh, uh, kind of probing Donald Trump's psyche, which is not, a, not something I've <laughs> That sounds like a but, horrible experience. Uh, <laughs> yes. But, uh but I've written a couple big profiles of him and I've written about him in my book. And, and, and I mean, he really does. He's somebody who just doesn't know how to not have the spotlight on him. It's how, the only way that he's uh, felt like he's ever succeeded in his life is by just doing constantly doing things to keep, you know, attention on himself. And, and that, and that helped him a lot in the primaries when he was in a crowded field, you know, running against 16, 15, 16 other candidates. But when it's just him and Hillary Clinton, uh, you know, he really needs to let Hillary Clinton have a few news cycles to herself and let yeah. her do damage to herself. But Trump just can't really figure that out. Now, others and you, you're going to be the perfect person to answer this. Others are screaming. It's just it's the liberal media, you know, supporting mm. Hillary and keeping her above the fray. Is there a liberal media bias Oh yeah. Well, I, so sure. I, I would, I always, whenever, you know, this is like a favorite topic of conversation, whatever somebody's asking me about my job. Right. I think it's, it's totally fair to say that there is a 
not just politically liberal. There's a general kind of cosmopolitan urban bias hmm. to uh, a lot to most pol- national political journalists. They tend to have gone to uh, liberal colleges. They tend to come from uh, you know northeastern or at least coastal cities, and they tend to be centered in coastal cities. And so they have a certain set of values that is uh, kind of you know un- unique to those areas. Um, that said, I don't think I always reject the idea that there's kind of some kind of media conspiracy to help the Democrats. Right. Um, that I think that anyone who's worked in journalism for very long knows that most newsrooms are too chaotic for any kind of right. <laughs> conspiracy to really take shape. <laughs> um, and also, I mean, frankly, that most political journalists I know have a lot of issues with Hillary Clinton, you know, yeah. their, their personal politics might be closer to hers than certainly to Donald Trump's or even to the average Republicans. But but they also, you know, they have a lot of issues with her. They you know, she's not a very transparent candidate. She clearly has tried to hide things throughout her career. And, and those kind of things are especially offensive to, to journalists whose job it is to to hold candidates accountable and try to uh, to unearth as much information as possible. So I think that there's a very there's definitely an antagonistic relationship between most of the political press that I know and Hillary Clinton. Uh, but again, I always come back to this. I think we'd be having a very different conversation if it was Hillary Clinton running against Marco Rubio, for right. example. Right. I think yeah. running against Donald Trump, while while a lot of journalists have problems with Hillary Clinton. Um, you know, Donald Trump has just said and done some things that are so outside of not even just political norms, but basic American democratic norms that I think a lot of journalists are kind of spooked by that. Mm-hmm. Do, do you sense is there any are there any legs to the uh, all these emails coming out that are linking the Clinton Global Initiative? Is that going to go anywhere? Is Julian Assange going to drop something mm-hmm. in a month that will just blow up Clinton, do you think? You know, I don't know. I would say that if I was on the Clinton campaign or a professional Democrat, I would be the thing that would scare me most is what else does Julian Assange have? Um, Because it certainly does. I mean, it certainly does seem like he has had some pretty remarkable sources uh, (laughs) leaking him stuff and they could still be out there and they could still have access to things. It's also, you know, um, it's also, you know, clearly Julian Assange has some kind of uh, ties to the Russian government, right? right, right. These Russian hackers are doing this hacking and then they're handing stuff over to him. So, you know, I, I would be very nervous about what else comes out in the next, you know, 90 some odd days before the election. If there's one thing I think that could upend this race, it would be some, you know, further skeletons in Ugh. Clinton's closet that could be unearthed. Can you imagine that? And then, and then Donald Trump floating to the victory <laughs> I mean, honestly you know, it's stranger things have ha- actually i don't know if i can say that. no i don't know if stranger things have happened not on this planet like trump becoming president it's <laughs> so <not>. true <laughs> oh man mckay well we'll let you go but give us one more thing what's the what's the one thing in your mind what what should we all be paying attention to what's coming up that uh, maybe many of us don't know about but will be headlines next week well, so one thing that uh, you, you may or may not have seen, there was a, some minor news reports that the official debate commission has recommended that new TV networks have three podiums ready to go on their stage. Oh, boy. Which, it, which suggests that Gary Johnson, yeah. the libertarian candidate, who's been polling 
quite well for a third party right. candidate in, uh, in national polls is right on the cusp of possibly being allowed in. He needs to be polling at 15 percent nationally to be let into the debates. And uh, I've seen multiple polls where he's right around there, 14 percent. Mm. So if he gets there, uh, that would you know, fundamentally change the dynamic of these debates. Uh, you'd have, a, for the first time, a third party, a libertarian candidate up there. Holy um, cow. And that, that could really change change how things turn out. Interesting stuff. McKay Coppins, thanks, my friend. Take care Thank of yourself. You. Keep up the great work. Again, go check out his book, The Wilderness, Deep Inside the Republican Party's Combative, Contentious, Chaotic Quest to Take Back the White House. Good stuff. What a great guy. Hey, we have some breaking news for you. When we come back, you won't believe it. Another candidate, another third-party candidate is going to launch their campaign on our show. You will not believe this. One of our anchors, Ron Brokaw, will be joining us to uh, break the news, folks. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, some people aren't really hip on uh, Hillary Clinton, Donald Trump. They're not They're not loving those candidates. So we have other candidates, right? Gary Johnson, we just heard, might get a seat at uh, the debate uh, tables. Also, Jill Stein is the Green Party candidate. Evan McMullen was just uh, announced that he's running for independent candidate uh, for presidency. But we have a new announcement, folks. Another person is throwing his hat in the race. And we're not going to say who it is, but instead, let's send it over to one of our uh, great reporters, field reporters, Ron Brokaw, for his exclusive on the newest third-party candidate to throw his hat in the race. This is Ron Brokaw with an exclusive interview. I'm sitting here with the newest third-party candidate to run for president under the Tea Party movement. This peculiar little man is known by everyone simply as the Mad Hatter. Mr. Hatter, thank you for being here. Could you please tell us why you joined the Tea Party movement? Well, when I heard there was a tea party, I rushed over as fast as I could. It's been so long since I've been to one, and I'm just mad about tea. Does it bother you, Mr. Hatter, that according to polls, the majority of Americans don't support the Tea Party movement? Oh, I simply don't understand people who don't like tea. Why, many years ago, a group of fellows got together for a tea party. Only instead of drinking the tea, they were throwing tea into the harbor. I mean, what a waste of perfectly good tea. Oh, it was the silliest tea party I've ever seen. Do you mean to say you were witness to the Boston Tea Party in 1773? Sir, if you don't mind me asking, how old are you? Oh, let me see. What day is it? It's the 12th of August. Oh, my goodness. It's my unbirthday. Well, it's mine, too. Oh, what a small world this is. Oh, in that case, allow me to bring out my running mate for a special song. Uh, that's not necessary, Mr. Hatter. Oh, nonsense. Don't let's be silly, Mr. Brokaw. 
very merry and birthday to me. To who? To me. Oh, you. A very merry and birthday to you. Who, me? Yes, you. Oh, me. It's all congratulate us. Oddly enough, this is one of the sanest interviews I've conducted. Until next time, this is Ron Brokaw. Wow, thank you, Ron. Woo! Uh, another candidate. I think Donald has has a serious competitor on his hands here there from the Tea Party. If he can keep it all together. Representing the Tea Party. Hmm. The Mad Hatter. I, I'm I kind of wondering where the Tea Party's been in all this. Yeah. Yeah. They haven't really made a, a voice for themselves. It's like I, they've disbanded or something. Well, apparently they've been trying to find a candidate. Hmm. They have one that's, I don't know, two, three, four hundred years old. I don't know how, I don't know when he was born. Yeah, we're worried that, uh, what, Clinton and Trump are both like 69 and 70. Yeah. This guy's 400. Yeah, he's going to have problems. You only have to be 35, so he's well, got that covered. And boy, I don't know that we've ever had a, a presidential candidate break into song with his vice presidential candidate. Have we? Not, not in a good way. Yeah. Well, I don't know that that was a good way either. Not saying it was, but if, if we have, it was awkward and out of tune. And mm-hmm. yeah, Matt Hatter. So, so let me get this straight. Uh, we have Secretary Clinton. Yep. Sir Donald Trump, self-appointed knight of coolness. Trump Tower. Trump Tower. <laughs> the knight of Libertarian candidate Gary Johnson, Green yes. Party candidate Jill Stein, independent candidate Evan McMullen, and now the Tea Party candidate, the Mad Hatter. That's great. Well, and there's more than that. A couple of months ago, I read off all the people who yeah. applied. Yeah, there's, yeah. There's like the Penguin Party and all these other kind of, mm. I'm going to say it, oddballs. Well, but you're not saying the Mad Hatter's an oddball. He, he is odd. Yeah. But we'll have to, you know, you gotta ha- love a guy that wants a party. We'll have to hear more of his uh, official positions to, yeah. to know whether he is truly an oddball. And by the way, honored to have Ron Brokaw on the show as well. Ron is uh, half brother to Tom Brokaw. Oh, nice. Mm-hmm. I like the family connection there. It's pretty neat. Yeah. They, they just have journalism in their blood. It's great. Nothing wrong with that. Family business. Any other news that we need to cover now that we've got all of the candidates announced? By the way, honored to have them announcing on our show. They don't have to come to the show to do that. I mean, that's yeah. that was just them tipping the hat, so to speak. To? To me. <laughs> really? Yeah. So, little hat tippage from the Mad Hatter. Wow, nice. Mm-hmm. Um, there's serious fear among Democrats right now that WikiLeaks will release a new pile of emails that yeah. will help boost Donald Trump this fall. The hack, which senior officials say was perpetuated by the Russians, that's kind of sketchy as to... Cause there's really no way to we know. We don't it's, know that yet. There, you, you go. I mean, there are certain groups that have said that it seems to track back there, but the Russians are saying it's not us. But well, and I think Julian Assange has said, uh, "Not yet." No, I mean that you don't know. You're going to be embarrassed if you keep saying that. Right. So Russians are out there. It's still kind of up in the air whether it is Always or not. Blame either, the Russians. Either way, there was a hack, and this information's out there. As already claimed, several political victims. If you remember uh, Representative Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who was the head of the uh, DNC. She stepped down because of the uh, the leak there uh, during the convention. Uh, a bunch of senior aides, a bunch of people who were running the Democratic National Committee have also stepped down because of the leak. Yeah. No one knows what's next or how to prepare for it. <laughs> you have no idea, right? Uh, and so there was a New York Times story yesterday just kind of talking about 
the Democrats are very concerned, but they don't know what to do about it. Because you don't know where what do you do. What's the information? Is it the Clinton Foundation? Is there more inside conversations from the Democratic Committee about will some of the inner workings? I don't know. It's interesting. Will it matter? Because in reality, guaranteed, the minute it it could be Hillary Clinton caught in photos on a scene of a murder. Who knows? It won't matter because that next half hour, Donald Trump will say something. That will change well, that whole dynamic. That would probably that be moment. what the Democrats are hoping for. That Hillary's because it's team, happened a couple times now. Yeah, Hillary's team's so strong and tight and organized that even if it's a if it's an obvious slip or problem, I think they'll handle it. Hmm. I think they've already painted Donald as so erratic that, and they probably didn't have to paint much, <laughs> that it won't matter. I mean, really. Do you want the one that might be known for whatever that might be announced sometime, hypothetically? Yeah. We don't want to, you know. That's why this is interesting. If the Republicans had a a candidate that didn't shoot himself in the foot sort of just every a, day. Just an average Joe kind yeah, of guy. Then I don't know where Hillary Clinton would be in the polls. I don't know if she'd be leading because there's so no. many things that could pull her down and she just kind of floats along right. because of other things going on. Well, and like McKay said, I'm not sure the press would be for her. No. So the press would probably... Because she won't talk to the press. Mm-hmm. She won't even participate in anything. And when you do get her on, it's it's kind of uh, difficult is what I've yeah. been, what I've read different places. So. Yeah, yeah. Hey, know. you know, crazy town. Uh, by the way, it's also, I failed to mention earlier, it's Kool-Aid Day. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's Kool-Aid Day. Yeah. What's your favorite Kool-Aid memory? A Kool-Aid memory? Yeah. Did you ever did you ever have a Kool-Aid stand? No. We drank it all the time. Did you? I just remember that I, I had a friend that used to say Kool-Aid should crunch. Really? That's how much sugar he put in. Oh, yeah. First off, Kool-Aid has a lot. I mean, to yeah. make it oh, as the recipe, it's a lot of sugar. He would double it. <laughs> and it would. As you would drink it, he it would sit there and gritty. like- He would sit there and go watch. And he'd like make the chewing motion after he drank because he was chewing the sugar. I'm like, oh man. I want my Kool-Aid gritty. He had a bit of a weight issue. <laughs> I'm just saying. I'm going to bet he has a little bit of the diabetes right now. Maybe. Oh boy. Yeah, so Kool-Aid should oh, crunch. Kool-Aid. Kool-Aid should, <laughs> Kool-Aid should crunch. I love Kool-Aid. Hey, Kool-Aid. Oh yeah. Who else could break through a wall? Yeah, I mean, it wasn't really a wall, but it's what happens when you got that much sugar. And he in was you. <laughs> a, a pitcher of Kool Aid with arms and legs and a that face, was, which was still kind of that was odd. a really weird guy, I must say. <laughs> guy looks like a pitcher. We're going to take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be back next hour. More tools, more information to help you see the good in the world. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on this side. We're doing what we can every day to bring you the latest, greatest information you need to lead a healthy, happy life. Hello. 
Sure, you get the news everywhere, but you don't always get the news that matters most to you. Today, we will be talking about finding solitude. <sighs> Where on earth do you turn to, to feel peace and solitude? Oh, have we got a great guest for you. Scott Campbell will be joining us. He's a professor uh, that wrote an article called Finding Solitude in an Era of Perpetual Contact. Can you possibly find solitude with so many distractions and annoying, I don't know, competitive activities that all want a piece of you and your pocketbook? Finding solitude in the 21st century. We'll get into that uh, as well as a little uh, fun talk about the Olympics. Some incredible headlines. Is it possible to just decide you don't want to fly on an airplane once, you know, once the airline's starting to move? Can you just say, I want off. I'm done. I don't, I'm not in the mood to fly now. Well, we'll talk about a passenger that uh, created chaos doing that very thing. And you won't believe she almost sounds famous. Kind of weird. We'll get to that as well. Tons of stuff for you today, helping you hopefully live a healthier, happier life. But first, let's get to Caitlin Thomas with the headlines. Caitlin? Thank you, Matt. More than 70 Republicans, including former members of Congress and Republican National Committee members, have signed a petition to the RNC chair asking them to cut funding for the Trump campaign. They said in the letter, we believe that Donald Trump's divisiveness, recklessness, incompetence, and record-breaking unpopularity risk turning this election into a Democratic landslide. On the other hand, during a Thursday night event, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell says the GOP's chances of maintaining control in the Senate are very dicey, signaling concern about the party's midterm chances if Donald Trump wins the presidential election. McConnell reaffirmed his support for Trump, but said Sen Senate Republicans would need to be on defense, even if Trump wins, adding that he hopes Trump settles down and follows the script. LeBron James has signed a $100, $100 million three-year contract with the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, the deal will make James the highest-paid NBA player, netting $31 million this year and an estimated $36 million the final year of his contract. Michael Phelps continued his habit of winning Olympic gold Thursday night by cruising to an easy victory in the 200-meter individual medley. It's his fourth gold at the Rio Games and his 22nd gold overall. It's also his 13th gold in an individual event, which breaks a 2,168-year-old Olympic record. American Ryan Murphy completed a sweep of the men's backstroke events, taking gold in the 200-meter. And lastly, Matt, here's one to turn over to you. Fiji won its first-ever Olympic medal last night in Rio after the men's rugby sevens team defeated Great Britain 43-7 to to take home the gold. Since 1956, Fiji has sent athletes to the Summer Games, and three competitors have even made it to the Winter Olympics. But this is the first ever medal for the country. So congratulations to Fiji. Go Fiji! It's a lot of fun. I know. These are fun stories to talk about. See, that's those are the stories you hardly ever hear, and you need more of. That's the Olympic spirit. Thanks, Caitlin. That's, remember, folks, that's why the Olympics is here to teach... Uh, world peace. Right. And now... Through a very violent sport of rugby. <laughs> if you watch that... It's they, super violent. But it's actually... It seems in a way less violent than football. American well, football. It's... I think it's more physical. 
yeah. but less violent in the sense that in, in American football, you're covered in this plastic armor, so you feel like you yeah, can just take run his head into off. a wall I'm, just, I'm going to spike his head with my and helmet. And there's limits put in on, right. on rugby because you know you don't have anything protecting you, but you still hit people. They're, what, they're, what they're worried about <laughs> is their ears. Because that becomes a handle that, real quick as they're doing oh, their that's scrum. True. You could rip someone's and face they, off. And they had. The, I was watching some women play, and they all had their ears bandaged because they all probably got them I torn a little bit. I thought that was just for cauliflower ear, but now it makes sense. If you grab someone's ear, you've got the. Uh, that's like the little tab to pull the Chips Ahoy cookie thing right. open. Yeah, exactly the same. Yeah, right. <laughs> it could be. You could just tear it's it right Chips off. Chips Ahoy tab. So they try to protect their ears. They wear their headgear. But yeah, it's. I don't know. If you watch it, it's pretty entertaining it to watch. It's now, a wa- great watching sport. Fiji celebrate after That's winning the gold, and then they show video of people back in Fiji celebrating. Oh, how cool. Right? They're going nuts. That's cool. You know? Is it... We win some medals in swimming, and everyone's well, like, oh, yeah, hey, cool. It must be a different game seven-on-seven <laughs> seven than the... Yes. That, because... Because it's usually 15. Right. And New Zealand wouldn't probably lose normally, but... Right? Yeah. And it was close. The 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 they, they uh, Fiji beat New Zealand, which was kind of seen as an upset because New Zealand has this rich right. history. But their history is with the fifteen. That's right. Seven's a different game, more faster. So Fiji was able to excel, but it was a close game. Their next game was close, and they played Great Britain for the the title and beat them forty three to seven. Wow! And they have a ton of rugby in Great Britain. Yeah. Cool. Just apparently. Why not. don't we have it in the United States as much? We do. I mean, but like, not, it's not every little league kids playing f- rugby. Well, no, because... Why? They all play soccer. Get on that. Football owns the place. Get on that, Terry. Why do you have kids playing lacrosse? I have no idea. I have two playing lacrosse. Lacrosse is trying to gain, you know, be more exciting and be on TV, and nobody cares. Nobody seems to care. Hey, uh, it is a, a holiday. Vinyl Records Day. Wow. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Not what you're supposed to do with a vinyl record if you're a purist. If well, okay. If you buy the right product, it is. I could see they people, make scratching record. You I could. That. I can imagine people from our own department here being yes. very upset about one scratching a record like that. What do they call it? Rub. Uh, scratching. Just go with scratching. Just scratching. Yeah, scratching a record. Yeah. I'm pretty sure mm. the boys at behind the garage door, what's the name of this? The, the garage band The show? garage door, behind garage door, door. Behind the door, the garage, That's the garage door is open. Don Shaline show. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that Don would like you playing with the vinyl that way. Yeah, they'd get a little hot under the collar. I think he's got some vinyl in his office. He gave yeah. me a vinyl. Yes. Of the band... Was it Millie Vanilli? Millie Vanilli. Okay, I was trying to think. <laughs> who, did, who did they give he you? He gave me a vinyl. I thought you meant the band, because there is There is a band. band called The Band. Yeah. It's Vinyl Record Day. It's also, folks, Kool-Aid Day. Hmm. Hey, Kool-Aid! Oh, yeah. Kool-Aid's here, bringing you fun. Kool-Aid's got their stomach run. Mm. Get a big... There you go. A big red pitcher of yum-yum. With, yeah. And as your friend said, he Kool-Aid wants it should crunch. crunchy. Which is gross. I'd like so much sugar that I can taste it for years. I said, I'll just drink some water, thanks. Did you ever, ever have a Kool-Aid stand? No. Had Are some you friends serious? do it, Jeffrey, yeah. did you? No, but I could have cleaned house. Why did you guys not? Where were you? What was your childhood like? 
This is crazy. I looked at it like, what's the point? You're going to spend all this effort, and then you got to sit out in the hot sun and wait for some car to stop? The problem was always ice. You could, you'd start with ice, but you'd run out of ice. And then you'd tell your little brother, hey, Timmy, go get us some ice. And he'd bring back two melted cubes in his hand. Mom won't let me take a bowl out. <laughs> tell Mom we got the glass pitcher and we need ice. We're not going to make any money. You're ruining our business. Goodness, Mom. How am I going to get to college? Oh, and the amount of sugar you had to use, oh, yeah. you were bankrupting your family. And then if you went sugar-free, it tasted weird. No. So it just, it just doesn't work. Do you remember the disappointment when the first time you made Kool-Aid, but you didn't know you were supposed to put sugar in, and then you taste it, and you're like, oh. Wow, this just a night. Something's right. wrong. Yeah. Read the ingredient or read the directions, son. Here's a crazy story for you. Um, if you're out in listener land and you're thinking, you know, I got to get off an airplane. This is what not to do. The fastest way off an airplane. Yeah. Let me off, 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 let me off. Does that voice sound familiar? Because that was the voice, basically, of this female. Over 500 passengers were left stranded for seven hours after one woman's impromptu decision to change her relationship status. The travelers were forced off of a flight, which was heading from Moscow to Russia, Russia's east coast near China. As one woman on board decided she needed a divorce pronto. Mm. Nothing worse than the, we call them divorce rapido, the fast divorce. Witnesses claim that while the plane was texting, uh, was taxiing, she demanded to be let off of the plane and repeated over and over and over, let me off, let me off, let me off. I'm not in the mood to fly. Hmm. So she wants off right now. Right now. Does she realize it doesn't work that way? We're taxiing, ma'am. That's but, the new Facebook relationship status, by the way. This is <laughs> taxiing breakup. Yeah. Get me off the plane now. This is the problem with she, if she had turned her phone off when the flight attendant told her to. Yeah. She wouldn't have known what was going on with her husband. Mm. So she wouldn't be screaming, I need to get off now. She needed a divorce. She needed to get off because apparently she had seen a problem via the cell phone. Huh. Not good. That's a motivated woman. One off this plane now. As one who has been a divorce mediator, mm. it's going to take 90 days. <laughs> At so, least. you can sit on the plane, lady. But then, do you take a screaming lady that says, I've got to get off now, I've got to get off now, 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 now. You can't fly. No. I mean, you could restrain her. She is a unruly passenger. You see the video last week of the uh, yeah. co-pilot that stepped out and... Was took that, some guy to the ground. It was a pilot, co-pilot, whoever. Well, did you see the video of the guy where the plane was leaving and the guy jumped, ran down the... the oh, the tarmac chasing the airway, airplane? jumped off of the, the boarding tunnel, whatever they call that, ran across the tarmac and chased down the... And I guess they let him on. <laughs> oh, okay. We were waiting for you. I saw this in Mission Impossible. It happens. Just roll it down. Tom Cruise dives <laughs> into the cargo jet. You're fine. I guess he got on. Yeah, we shouldn't be telling that story because now people are going to think that they can. No, most people will just go, ugh, and then go get a refund. Before you go to the, here's the rule, just as a past divorce mediator. Mm. Before you go to the airport and check in and check your luggage and anything, check your marital status. Think it through before you go through security. Should I check on Facebook or should I ask my spouse? Uh, I, <laughs> I, wouldn't, I wouldn't check on Facebook. 
Okay. That's probably not the best way to know what your actual status is. I usually check at least once a day. I go, we're good, right? All right, sweet. That's why you do that. Yeah, we good? All right. I don't, because every time you look, you're like, whew. Well, you got to have She's still good. Breath. I mean, it is kind of crazy that somebody wants to hang out with me this much. That's true. And like legally. I mean, legally. Well, tied to you legally. Like, well, but we, now you've got you've got a kid. You've got we one have, on the way. It's we have a, property. We have cars. It's crazy. Uh, She's like right there. I feel so bad for her. Apparently I mean, thinking clearly. I don't know. Kind of odd. She's a great woman. Uh, okay, here's another crazy thing. Let's just say the state inspectors come to inspect your pizza restaurant. Okay. What's the worst thing that could happen? Maybe you... A dead body. Yeah, there, well, yeah there that you go. would be bad. Didn't, okay, that was that didn't happen. Oh, not bad. Anything else that could be worse? At a pizza restaurant, major health violation. Health yeah, inspector, you got the things aren't as clean as they need to be. You have yeah. raw meat sitting somewhere. Right. Why is this raw meat out? Just trying to think of all the health violations okay. they put in the newspaper. Yeah, this this was a little different. State inspectors found a huge roach infestation inside of a pizza restaurant in South Florida last week. According to the records, as the inspector was working, you know, doing his inspection, a roach actually fell from the ceiling Hmm. onto his iPad and just hit his iPad. That he was keeping record of the ongoing current inspection. Okay, have they got this? Did they put the meat away? Yes. Did they? Oh, plop, goes the roach. That's not the bad part. But there were so many roaches that it's what the roach did on Hmm. top of the iPad that was completely freaky. We actually have video oh, nice. of what the roach uh, roaches did right. once they were discovered. At first I was afraid I was petrified. He broke into song. Really? Wait, this is the roach. Apparently it's choreographed uh-huh. too. It's the cutest roach you've ever seen. I've never seen a roach sing. How do you get that many roaches to know. dance in sync like that? And here they come out. They're all starting to come out of the walls. In straight lines, by the way. Nice. And they're twirling their hands like disco dancers. Disco roaches. I think whole that, song. I think that would be a food violation. I think they were a little too comfortable yeah. in that uh, eating establishment. If you have so many roaches and they're so talented that they could choreograph a song mm. and they're willing to do it for the inspector, that is a gutsy group of roaches. By the way, the song, We Will Survive... Do what you want, roach killer, but we will survive. Wonderful story. So your life could be worse, folks. You could be the guy that owns the pizzeria and a cockroach falls out of the ceiling simply because, you know, the ceiling couldn't hold the thousands of other roaches that uh, had infested the place. Gone. There goes your surprise. We'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to be speaking about solitude. In this crazy, high-tech, connected world, where do you go to find a little peace? Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, your guide to peace. We'll be back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Henry David Thoreau, in his book Walden, wrote, I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach, and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. 
Thoreau listed the, nece- the, ne- the necessities of life as food, shelter, clothing, and fuel. But if he had written Walden today, do you think he would have listed a smartphone? <laughs> As well, our next guest is uh, the Pose Endowed Professor of Telecommunications at the University of Michigan, Scott Campbell. He's here to talk to us a little bit about solitude and how solitude affects us and how we are missing out on solitude in today's world. Dr. Scott Campbell, thanks for being with us. Hi, Matt. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Great, uh, great topic. This whole idea of solitude, for, for many, it's... We wouldn't even recognize it if we saw solitude. Define for us solitude. Actually, this is one of the most interesting problems about solitude today. Is um, in addition to technology, which we'll talk about. Um, you know, I'm a scholar, so um, research and theory and measurement of solitude is a huge problem because all of the concepts of solitude. Uh, you know, you're talking about Thoreau. Um, right. And since then, um, into the 20th century, have pretty much been defined, and the tools that we use to measure solitude have been developed uh, before the digital age. And so, if you want me to define solitude, technically, Mm. most scholars so far still uh, regard it as being alone, physically not being around other people, or not engaging with people you are around. Wow. Sometimes, yeah. And and I disagree with that definition of solitude. I think we need to bring it up to... uh, Bring it up to speed in the digital age. It's so true, huh? Because you know, Thoreau went away to the woods in a yeah. in a yeah. cabin. And what's, and, and what's and what's interesting is about Thoreau is we you know we think of this as some sort of um, miraculous heroic effort that he did. You know, going off for a couple of years. Right. Really, though, it was I guess a, a pretty short walk from um, from where he he had a lot of friends and and he did have company come into his cabin. He didn't truly live entirely alone for two years. He had yeah. social interaction. And we can do this today. We don't need to carve out two years of our life and go move somewhere. You know, We can find solitude here and there, but we can't do it if we're not thinking about it and we're not, if we're not conscious of it. It's interesting. You're a professor of telecommunications, associate professor of communication studies at the University of Michigan. What got you into solitude? What brought you to that topic? Well... <laughs> Usually, <clears throat> the things that we study and write about um, ideally come out of some sort of theoretical problem that we're trying to solve, and, and this is a theoretical problem, but the truth is, to answer your question, is last summer I reread Aldous, Aldous Huxley's Brave New World, hmm. and this is one of my favorite books. I'm a technology guy, and I'm, you know, I'm not necessarily pro-technology or anti-technology. I'm just interested in technology and social change. I love that book, and... Um, you know, you can read it a lot of different ways. And the way, the, the thing I got out of it last time was this theme of deliberate solitude that Huxley hits on and, uh, in that book. And, and the protagonist in that book um, is the only person in that book that appreciates solitude and seeks it out deliberately. And it, is, um, it runs against the grain of his futuristic dystopian society. Um, it is um, almost a criminal act. It's pathological in that book to deliberately want um, solitude. And this just kind of opened my eyes because, my eyes, because you know, as a communication professor, uh, myself and my colleagues, you know, we're really interested in helping people understand how we can be um, communicating more and communicating better. And this is kind of the other side of the coin. So honestly, it was just reading that book that kind of made me start thinking about this and start thinking about the problems of solitude today. It's, it is a, it's a very... Um thought-provoking idea that it could be 
that perceived that being going for solitude is antisocial. It's you know it's um, it's selfish. It could actually become, even with our children, the child that plays alone, the child that is quiet or introverted might be seen as, you know, an outlier and not as healthy as those that integrate at every playground activity. Right. And and the truth is, um, you know, the, the, there's a lot, you know, solitude is, is a complex thing. There are different flavors of it. There's the flavor of it that is deliberate, like Aldous Huxley's talking about. There's the flavor of it that's not deliberate, and a lot of times that is not experienced positively. So I'm not saying solitude is something that we all need more of. Um, you know, it, it certainly children um, don't necessarily deal well with it. Um, older folks tend to deal better with it. Maybe it's because they're more used to it, uh, seniors. Um, but, you know, I think that we need to, to think of it not as, you know, necessarily antisocial, not, not necessarily a great thing, but it just kind of depends on the circumstances, and individuals have different personality makeups, um, and, and that plays an important role in how much benefit we get out of solitude or whether we benefit from it. You know, mm. there's a lot of benefits, imagination, creativity, and a lot of people argue that it makes us better social creatures to be able to step out of our social interactions for a period of time and just reflect and sort of center ourselves. And then we're in a better spot to engage with other people and develop empathy and, and all that. So, um, we had a, a Buddhist professor. Oh, uh, go ahead. Uh, I, was, I was just wrapping up. Just yeah. that it, it is a complex thing. I'm not saying it's, it's something that's always good. It's not always bad. It just kind of depends, but it's not something that I, I think that we think about, especially, especially that deliberate, form of solitude. Because mm-hmm. The thing is, is, I think that deliberate solitude is more important today than ever because the other flavor of it, the kind where you stumble upon solitude on accident, that's really no longer mandatory. We don't have to experience that if we have a cell phone in our pocket, and we always do these days. That's right, and you can always pull it out, and it becomes a distraction to a potential moment of solitude. Oh, absolutely. And I think that um, I think just having it on you and having it on, I think there's a latent cognitive link there that will affect the quality of our solitude if cognitively we're ready to be on call at any moment to have those links activated i actually think that um i'd like to do an experiment on this but i think that there's going to be a difference um in how we experience solitude if we either if we have the phone off or not with us um, as opposed to having it with us and having it on i think even that is a disruption even if you're not talking or texting with anybody on the phone. right Right. Uh, we had a, uh, a professor from Harvard on who has been teaching at Harvard an ancient Chinese philosophy class. And he's, he's loved, he's beloved. He's, I think his name is Mike Pewitt, a wonderful uh, researcher as well. But he talked about this idea that we have of like the Buddhist monk being this solitude seeking on top of the mountain all by himself, you know, communing with mm-hmm. the higher energy. Um, he says it's absolutely inaccurate. But the, the idea of Buddhism isn't that you go away to just only seek solitude by totally being alone all the time, but instead trying to find the spaces of solitude in the spaces be, in life and oh, with people. Yeah. And, it's, yeah, and, and it's exactly I, I, I what you're saying. I think that's a great message, and um, it certainly complements um, the message that, that I've been expressing lately. And 
you know, and, and basically my message is that we, we need to be more conscious about those moments. Now that, now that they're not mandatory, now that we don't have to experience, um, um, you know, being unplugged from others um, or not engaging with others, um, it's not mandatory anymore. And, and a lot of people feel really uncomfortable um, in those moments. You know, that's a lot of times why people pull out their phone is they don't want to be perceived as alone or they don't want to feel alone or, you know, they want to feel connected. And I think that we need to more consciously recognize that it's healthy to have these moments and that we need to cultivate them and seek them out because they're not just going to accidentally happen to us anymore, really. What are you finding in your research? Um, and what, what is it, do you think, that makes us less, you know, confident in those moments of quiet? So there's, I, I think there's three things. Um, there's, I'm sure, many, many other things. There are three things that I'm interested in right now. I think three explanations for the, the problem of, um, of solitude. Um, one of them, Sherry Turkle is a professor at MIT. Um, she came out with a book last summer, or last fall, called Reclaiming Conversation. And uh, her explanation is boredom, basically. She says that, um, that we can relieve boredom at any time now with our digital devices, mm. um, that we're, we're more equipped to avoid boredom than we ever have been in the past. And that boredom explains the reason why people constantly will be pulling out their phones to avoid um, moments of quiet just on their own. Hmm. And I agree with her, but <clears throat> I've been writing lately to add two other things beyond boredom. One thing is that, A, I, I've done a lot of research that suggests that, that the mobile communication has become such an ingrained part of who we are that we don't really think of it as much anymore. Now that it's not new, that, now that it's kind of a taken-for-granted assumption, I have uh, other colleagues who are, who are writing about that as well. But my point is that like uh, texting while driving, some of this can be explained by just automatic behavior. The phone beckons, we automatically reach for it, or we have an internal experience or an emotion, we just reach for it. So I so think that true. we're not thinking, we're not thinking yeah. is one thing. The other thing is expectations. We live at a time where the expectations to be accessible to others are really high, and I don't think we quite see that. I don't think we quite really, I think we're kind of like a fish who doesn't know it lives in water until mm -hmm. it's taking out of the fishbowl. So these expectations, you know, teenagers feel, especially young people, feel like they have to be on call. They have to respond to messages immediately. That's a feeling that they have. And I think that that combined with the sort of less conscious use of, of our technology today also helps explain why we are not, why we just, you know, find, why we avoid those moments of being unplugged. It's so, it, it, we don't see, I, I guess, so you're saying the automatic patterning that we kind of have created, our mm -hmm. expectations socially, and then uh, Turkle's idea of boredom, or I guess, which is seeking stimulation, mm -hmm. um, those keep us from being able to stay in the space. I, I, that's yeah, that's my argument, and I'm not saying that this is like, you know, the formula right, that, right. that well, explains it. But I'm saying these are these are the three key ideas that I see being batted around right now. Yeah, for sure. And uh, let's do this. Let's take a break. Come back with you, Scott. We're speaking with Dr. Scott Campbell about his article that he wrote in theconversation.com, finding solitude in an era of perpetual contact. Interesting insight, I think, for all of us. We'll, we'll uh, explore it further in just a moment. Stick with us, folks, helping you make it through this crazy world uh, with all this technology and still being able to find the peace. By the flash of a neon light It split the night And touched the sound 
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone is Dr. Scott Campbell. Scott is the Pose Endowed Professor of Telecommunications in the Department of Communication Studies at the University of Michigan. His research examines social change associated with the update of mobile communication technology. Scott Campbell, welcome back to the show. Thank you. I love this topic. Uh, and I'm, I'm afraid for my children, quite honestly, because I have, I have six kids, Scott. Oh, wow. <laughs> and I know. And the, the issue I see are those things you were mentioning earlier. Maybe what you're kind of positing as some of the causes of our inability to get and feel solitude, uh, the automatic patterns. Everybody, the second they have a free moment, they pull out a phone. And I think you're right. We're not thinking. It's, it's pure automatic. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, as a social scientist, I don't know if I would say pure automatic, but, um, you know, we get, we get kind of picky about explaining, you know, how much variance in this and that, but it's significantly, significantly a factor, um, especially in the research that I've done on texting while driving. Um, you know, we, we, still, we still have the, this problem of, of, it's more than just texting now. It's all yeah. kinds of messaging and interacting and distraction with our technology. We know better. We know now. People know how dangerous it is. So why do we still do it? Why are people still doing this? And, you know, there's been some research that, that looks at, you know, the goals that people have and their intentions and their cognitive, conscious processing. And my graduate student, Joe Bayer, and I um, sort of flipped it on its head and said, well, what if we looked at the unconscious side? What if we thought about habit or automaticity as one of the explanations why people do this? And we found that it, it did, you know, not entirely explain the whole thing, but significantly it's a piece of the puzzle that explains why people still do this when they know it's so dangerous. Mm-hmm. You know? And I think that it feeds into this, this question of solitude as well. I've even seen it just going to bed. If, if I don't intentionally put my phone down, I will play on it for an hour and a half. And I'm a guy that needs to get to sleep, to get up early, to do the show. So how do we, as parents, as humans, how do we start to impact the automaticity or the habit-forming side of this? Well, I think, I, I think a better understand. well, first of all, okay, um, I think what I see now in the media is really the conversation moving towards addiction, and I'm not sure that that's useful. Right. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I, no. especially the popular press, I see an awful lot of people saying it's, it's really addiction. And addiction is a thing. I mean, it's a medical, it comes with an awful sure. lot of baggage and, you know, withdrawal symptoms and tolerance and all this stuff. I think habit is something that people are more willing to swallow. Okay, I right. have a habit. Right. You know, I'm an addict. That's a big step you're asking people to take. But if you tell people, you know, look, think of it as a habit. Think of seatbelts. I don't know about you, but I'm old enough to remember when seatbelts oh, yeah. were not, mandato- not well, mandatory. Do you remember we didn't uh, care about people back then? They could just <laughs> flop all over the car, and now we're, like, my, my buckling parents, everyone my parents, would, my parents would be arrested right now, for sure, for all the things, you know, like laying on the dashboard. Or right, whatever. exactly. But, uh, but if we think about, so that's changed, right? And why did that change? Because we educated people on how habits are formed. Um, in the 1980s, I think it was, maybe 70s, I don't know. But there was all of this attention to, you know what, if you do your seatbelt 21 times in a row, you will establish that habit, and it will become automatic. And people kind of got on board with that, right? Right. Um, 
of course there are laws. We have laws against texting and driving, too. They don't work. People <laughs> still do it. So I think if we get people to realize the habit, you know, and habits aren't necessarily bad. Right. You know, we, we don't want to have to think about how to use a stapler every time we pick it up. We need that to be an automatic process. So I'm not saying habits are always bad, but if we think of this as a habit, I think it will help us become more conscious maybe and avoid those times where we you know, automatically grab it, and then, like you said, you get immersed in it, and it eats up an hour, hour and a half of your time, and you didn't mean for that to happen. Because it is a, it is a, it's a habit um, that will just keep growing on its own. I mean, it's like there's no end to your ability to surf, to Netflix, to um, pretty much any of its functions. There's yeah. no it's, real end to it. Right, and it's and it's and it is absolutely liberating, and it is absolutely empowering, and it it, it is all of that, and it's habitual, mm-hmm. and it poses problems. Um, like I said earlier, you know, I, I I don't want people to hear this show and think, oh, Scott Campbell hates technology. He's anti tech, you know. <laughs> right. Yeah, I'm 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 more of uh, as a social scientist. I just try to explain how and why things happen, you know, and so I try to explain the good things. I uh, do research on political empowerment and mobile communication. Um, which, you know, is, is giving people more voice. Um, is that, is, you know, this is one of the problems that needs to be explained as well. Maybe that's the answer though, right? And so instead of talking about, uh, the, the negative side, I guess, what if we talked about the positive, the appreciative side of solitude? Yeah. Is it possible to make solitude more, um, enticing and even an expectation of our lives so that we are constantly also seeking out solitude in almost a habitual way. Yeah, and I, I think so. And it and it doesn't have to mean that we it doesn't have to mean that we, you know, we we drop our technology. Yeah, get rid of your phone, right. Yeah, you don't have to cancel your account. You you just you just have to find fifteen minutes here and there where you can feel comfortable with yourself, you know, and just sit there. Um and, and maybe, you know, you come actually to treat that as a habit, mm-hmm. you come to appreciate that, and you seek that out, and you feel refreshed, you know. And and I think people really do actually appreciate these moments. It's just that they need to, I think, get in the right the right mindset and um, and seek them out. Um, and right now, we're just I don't think we're thinking about it. No. Much. Well, in fact, you have a great quote um, that's pretty funny. If a person is alone in the forest when a tree falls but they don't notice it because they're texting, does it still count as solitude? <laughs> it's such a great line. They, they, don't, they don't let us put that kind of stuff in journal articles. So I know they don't. Right. They don't know what they're missing, Scott. That's good. <laughs> That's good writing right there. Is there an RDA? Is there a recommended daily allowance for solitude? Is there a minimum amount we should have, and you know, at least... Well, okay, so this gets at the problem I, meant, I was mentioning earlier. earlier. So the, the last time we tracked how much solitude people got. It was used with, um, with um, diaries and surveys that only looked at the physical aspects of not being mm. around other people, you know, right. not engaging with people you know, um, physically in face-to-face settings. Um, and, and so really, no. Like, we don't even know how much solitude people get because we don't have any measurements for it um, in the digital age. I can tell you that the last time research was done on this that, I, that I've noticed, you know, pretty much before the digital age, um, you know, like senior citizens got something like 50% of their waking hours were, was in solitude. And so, you know, it would not be a good thing to say, oh, everybody needs more solitude. Uh, right. Actually, senior citizens, though, are more comfortable with it, this, the, the research suggests. But they also probably are lonelier. 
They probably they might be. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and yeah, and like I said, with solitude, you know, loneliness can be one of the ways that we experience solitude. Hmm. Um, you know, creativity and imagination and and um, reflection is another, you know, another set of ways. But young people um, in that study, adolescents, they, they got almost none. Oh, and they no. didn't want it and they didn't like it. And I don't know what the RDA is or if I could come up with a recommendation. So quantity is tough, but I think quality is something I can speak to. Yeah. And I think, and I think that if we turn our technology off, it will boost the quality of our solitude, and we might actually appreciate it more and seek it out more often. And and then probably use. It seems like it might enhance our ability to use our technology. I mean, it, it seems like solitude creates clarity for yeah. for a lot of people, and it can. Yeah, and and kind of pushes out some of the haze that constant chasing of the dream and you know the latest Donald Trump quote um not to not to disparage but right. I, I guess your idea though is basically we need to start having conversations about solitude and making it part of our 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 conscious thought process if only if um only if we value its benefits if, if we do not value solitude whatsoever and we do not value the benefits of solitude, um, then maybe not, you know. And, and my role really isn't to say what we should or should yeah. not be doing. It's just to try to explain how and why things happen. So I don't want to impose, you know, my values for solitude on everybody else. But the truth is, is that it does offer benefits and that, you know, we, we can enrich our relationships. Uh, one of Sherry Trickle's points is that it helps develop empathy towards other people. Um, you know, and, and I think that that's, that's something that's worth thinking about. And, and again, I, just, I don't think that we're really thinking so much about it. So I guess, um, you know, it's, it's, there's different people who experience it differently and different personality makeups play a role in it. So I don't think that there's any kind of a formula as far as mm-hmm. how much people need. But I do think there are some considerations in terms of how we can increase the, the quality of our solitude and, and benefit from it. And I think that it does not have to come at the cost of being connected in our relationships. In our yeah. Life. It also seems uh, like almost demographically, I mean, my kids, if, if, if I told them, okay, solitude time, which we actually try to do, uh, we just call it quiet time, but no tech time. Um, they look at me like, you're trying to kill me, dad. <laughs> but the, but so it almost is generational, but it might be a powerful discussion to talk even multi-generationally about, I just think of our grandparents that didn't have all this tech pressure and when they were home, they could actually be home or when they were fishing, they could actually be fishing. And yeah. I mean, I, I wonder if there's a way to integrate a conversation generationally. I think that might be fascinating. Yeah. And, and it is, I think it's important yeah. um, be, because there are differences uh, between the people like myself who have transitioned, you know, as the technology became available, as opposed to people like my son who are growing up with it. And um, it's a different set of um, expectations, a different set of norms. You know, young people do things together in groups with their technology that older people would be completely offended by. Mm-hmm. And for young people, in some ways, it enriches their experience. It can, you know. Right. Um, and so I think these conversations are important so that older folks can understand that young people aren't necessarily trying to be rude, but that this is, you know, this is how they live their life, you know. And younger people might benefit by talking with older folks about what life was like before 
internet and cell phones um, so that maybe they can gain some appreciation of, you know, what it's like to go fishing and just be fishing. That's right. Just take it in. Well, Scott Campbell, we appreciate you and your great insight. Keep up the work. We'll uh, have you back when you've made your latest and greatest discovery, when you figured out how to define solitude in the current day and age. Thanks for having me, Matt. You bet. Dr. Scott Campbell, good stuff, folks. Solitude. Oh, just some time to get away and think. How would it be? We'll take a break, my friends. Come back, wrap up the second hour of the show. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you find the good in the world. In my brain, still Because life doesn't come with a handbook, you need a coach. Here's Dr. Matt and his coaching corner. Play ball. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. The solitude gap. Are you, uh, are you in the gap? Are you not getting enough peaceful solitude? A little place away where you can work your thoughts, maybe meditate, possibly pray, you know, read something that's uplifting or or even just sitting there in, you know, nature. I find even when I go on walks, one of my favorite things to do is a walk every day. And yet I still fill my head up with information, with noise, podcasts, interviews, preparing for the next day. We're constantly filling our heads up with stuff. And um, it's probably not helping. And where I worry about this uh, the most is in our ability to actually handle quiet times and quiet spaces. And almost the concept of reverence might be going away where you, if, you know, if you're not one who maybe goes and, and experiences a lot of uh, either speakers or if you don't have a church setting where you're constantly, you know, in a place where you need to sit and listen. It's probably getting hard for you, for your children to learn to just sit still and to respectfully listen. I wonder in the end how that's going to impact our abilities to hear one another, you know. I don't want to sound like an old curmudgeon, like, oh, in my day, we always respected everyone. But solitude and your ability to sit silently and think is a, it's, I think it's an advancement and a step up in humanity. I think your ability to sit in, in a reverent, quiet space at a funeral, for example, and reverently sit there without your phone is going to have to be something we all can do and enjoy it instead of having to run out in the middle of the funeral to answer your calls. So I just suggest to every one of us, me included, yo, I'm talking to me. Are we increasing our ability to sit in the quiet spaces? And the quiet spaces could include, you know, listening to others, going to musical uh you know, events, watching a concert, but eventually 
reverent places where you're at a funeral or a church where you can sit quietly and actually turn your phone off. The weirdest phenomenon happening in my church is everybody has a cell phone and they're using the scriptures from that they're reading are in their cell phones or their technology. And I think it's creating a big temptation. Some people aren't getting closer to God because they're not actually reading the scriptures during their lesson. They're checking Facebook status. So watch out and make sure you yourself can do it. One other reason I bring it up is because your ability to sit in quiet solitude, practice on your own, where you can do that by yourself, it will deeply impact your ability to sit in quiet uh, peacefulness as you listen to someone else. The most intimate moments of life should be or could be possibly intimate, soft, quiet moments of solitude where two people can stay in the space together. I think personally your ability to be intimately connected to other humans is going to be directly correlated to your ability to sit in solitude and be intimately connected with God or with nature or with a higher power. You want better relationships with another person? Then learn to sit quietly, reverently in connection to your higher power in solitude. You cannot attempt to be something with another human being that you are not by yourself. And that's true in solitude. So, a little challenge for all of us. Let's pick it up. Practice it. Something we can practice this weekend. Find a quiet time. Go on a walk, but turn off the headset. Do something different. Turn off the radio when you're driving. Put your phone away. million ways to be at peace. That's hour number two, folks. We'll take a break. We'll be back next hour. More information, more solutions to help you live longer and love stronger. Stick with us. This is The Matt Townsend Show. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to hour number three of The Matt Townsend Show. Top of the morning to you. Or bottom, as it may be. Man, have we got a great program for you today. We will be... Um, Talking news flush. We got a lot of news we got to get through. Just stories that have piled up. They didn't make uh, the mainstream media. Some made the mainstream media. They didn't make our show. So, hmm, we're going to throw those at you uh, today. Also, Olympics facts or fiction. We're going to play a little game with that. Uh, Jeff's chomping at the bit to play a little Olympic game with Hillary and Donald. Hmm? How would they do? And what? Tennis. Hillary or Donald? Who would win? Anything with balls, I think. Uh, Donald. I I'm going... With the bing bong. Ding, ding, bong. Yeah. Hmm. Uh-huh. I don't know. I don't know what would be interesting to watch two 70-year-old people try to I compete at. I think Donald, if he were in any uh, martial art, judo... Karate, boxing, anything like that, I think he'd have an advantage because she she sometimes short circuits. And okay. he could play on his belief that she sort short circuits. Have you seen the video where he was talking about that? On Which Thursday? One? It was on Thursday. No. 
so yesterday he was talking about her short circuiting and she she she's not quite straight on some of the facts as he continually calls the day Friday. <laughs> so he, he goes, it's great, it's Friday, and then you hear the audience, no, it's Thursday. Thursday. He points, yeah, funny, and then he moves on. Sorry, I'm short circuiting. He just kept saying it was Friday as he was talking about mm-hmm. her short circuiting. Yeah. And they Whatever. keep talking about how she falls and she can't make it up steps. Yeah. He just would have to sweep the leg. So would we just, just sweep the leg? We could have them both walk up a set of stairs. <laughs> slow it way down play this music there's your event first Who stair climbing stairs yeah. <laughs> without assistance it's the it's the, the presidential games <laughs> I think he'd take volleyball too because he got a good tan so you know he's spending time in the sun I don't think that's where his tan came from no there was a can somewhere that's half empty yeah that's where it came from <laughs> yeah I'm pretty sure that's not tan it says orange Cheeto dust it's orange C7481 yeah on the spectrum. Oh, well, it's a great thought. I can play this on the trombone, by the way. You play the trombone? I used to. You I... play the trombone. I play the accordion. Jeffrey, what do you play? I play uh, for fun. Okay, you'll be the <laughs> band leader. We got a band. One and a two. We could have Don in. Don could play a little electric flute for us. There you go. That guy can rip. I can play about two songs on the piano. Half of the song. I can, too. I can play When the Saints Come Marching Home. Mm. And uh, I don't know if I remember any songs on the accordion. Mm, it's going to be a long... That's more of a public service, the fact that you forgot. It's going to be a long concert. Maybe I'll have us play for my date night. I have a date night coming up in November. Really? About 1,000 people, and maybe we could break out the band. I think I have plans, so... Well, you won't have plans, because you don't even know what day it is. I probably have plans. I'm just going to call you. Remember wife. all the date nights in February you always asked me to go to? You're yeah. always like, hey, you need to go to this. I'm like, oh, I'm busy. Actually, your wife wanted me to get you to go. I'm busy. And she, yeah, you never went. Well, we will be getting to the news headlines, Olympics, fact or fiction. We'll visit our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show. And then the hero of the day, we've got a big hour for you. Again, the goal to help you live longer, lead healthier, happier lives. And because it's Friday and the last hour of the show, Our other goal is to just, A, make it through the week, B, party. We're here to party. And uh, first, let's get to the headlines with Caitlin Thomas. Caitlin? Thanks, Matt. Donald Trump says that he was just being sarcastic when he repeatedly claimed on Thursday that President Obama and Hillary Clinton were the founders and MVPs of the Islamic State terror group. He tweeted out this morning, ratings challenge CNN reports so seriously that I call President Obama and Clinton the founder of ISIS and MVPs. They don't get sarcasm. This is brought. Um, this was brought and tweeted in response to nationwide controversy over his remarks. The director of an organization that certifies skydivers said Thursday that the instructor who led a tandem jump in Northern California that turned fatal did not have the required advanced parachuting certificate. The Federal Aviation Administration requires tandem jump instructors to receive training and a certificate from the United States Parachute Association, which found no records of Yong Kwan, 25 Kwan, and their, his first-time jumper Tyler Turner died in a California vineyard on Saturday when their, sh- when their shared parachute failed to open. Ed Scott, the executive director of the Parachute Association said officials researched its records using several variations of Kwan's name and found nothing. The investigation is still ongoing. American gymnast Simone Biles won a gold medal for the women's individual all-around on Thursday. Her work on the balance beam, floor, uneven bars, and vault earned a total score of 62.198, over two points higher than silver medal winner and teammate Allie Reisman. The 19-year-old still has three more opportunities to medal. 
And lastly, American swimmer Simone Manuel became the first African-American woman to win a gold medal in an individual swimming event um, last night. Manuel tied with Canadian Penny Olsiak and beat world record holder oh, Kate Campbell cool. in the 100-meter freestyle final, breaking down in tears upon realizing the significance of her achievement. She said in an interview, the gold medal wasn't just for me, it was for people that came before me and inspired me to stay in the sport. The 20-year-old yes. Stanford University student said um, that this was her first Olympic Games and she's really excited, so it was really fun to Loved listen it. to Loved it. That was the coolest moment. It was. She's There's tears, it was fun, those are the kind of it's stories like we love to talk about. Know she when they figure out they won it, yeah, it's a it's just super cool. Like what? She has a great reaction. It was a really good story. And then she tied the Canadian, and they went over and did a little uh, rope hug. Which can I just point something out? I've noticed mm-hmm. with the Olympics. Have you ever been to a swimming pool and uh, they're like, "Get off the ropes!" Yeah, yeah. These swimmers are all on the ropes. Should someone be yelling at they're them? They're breaking. An international <laughs> rope rule of pools. Right. Stay away from the ropes. Stay off the ropes. Yeah. Thank you, Caitlin. There was a, a bit of a... Uh, people wanted to see that medal ceremony. Yeah. When, when she won, they wanted to see it. It was significant. They want, And NBC delayed it an hour. What? And people were... So, so websites were uh, recording it. And then throwing it out there on YouTube. And like, here it is if you want to see it. And uh, then Why? finally Why NBC did they delay show. it? Because they're delaying everything. Speed walking? Did they broadcast that? They got that one out there. They might just put that online. Can, can, will, you, will somebody make sure that they submit my, um, what's the word? My complaint mm. about hanging on the ropes. Okay, we'll make sure that. These Olympians are mm-hmm. also swimming over the ropes. We were always taught swim under them. Uh, you guys under the ropes. They under also, them. they also. There's a story I've been seeing. They have lifeguards at most of these pools. You have people that live in pools. Yeah, that's all they do. Their their existence is they're diving in pools. They're playing water polo. They know how to tread water. They're not worried. But there's always a lifeguard just sit there, would bored you, face, just like, <laughs> what am I doing? How would you like to be the guy? The pool is green. No one's in the pool, and the lifeguard is just sitting there. <laughs> how would you like to be the guy that Michael Phelps? passes out in the water or not yeah just seemingly and then this guy jumps i in. tend to think if he passes out he'd still be fine he'd still be oh, okay his body just much it will muscle twitches would just take him right to the yeah right to the right ladder to safety he'd be fine and we don't need a lifeguard to jump in just, there's probably like 500 people in the room some that could save him five you know? foot eight guy trying to flip phelps over it's really funny. and bring him into the side <laughs> yeah. i would pay by the way that ought to be a competition they ought to have the three medal winners in any in, – this ought to happen at every event. Uh, the three medal winners play dead in the middle of the water, no, and the lifeguards get no, to jump in. No. First lifeguard to get their medal winner out of the water and do chest compressions wins. This isn't like the, the Baywatch Olympics. We can't do that. I feel bad have, for the guy. He seems lifeguards saving. Yeah, he needs something to do, but I mean, he's in a place with a lot of expert swimmers, so I don't think he's really needed. But <laughs> you okay, and, Michael? You okay? Yeah, Jimmy, I'm fine. That and every coach and every athletic trainer out there could probably jump in and save anybody anyway. So, so true. There's a lot of swimmers there. Yeah. What are you gonna do? He might be the most unqualified lifeguard <laughs> in the in the room. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how many medals have you won, Mister Lifeguard? Exactly. I've got twenty two. If I go down, uh, I don't want you touching me. <laughs> I need an Olympic medal winner to take me. So, 
We got the Olympics saving us from having to deal with some of the political world. Hmm. Thank heavens. And the candidates have kind of backed off a little bit to yeah. allow the... Because they're not, they're not going to be able to compete with that, so they kind of stay away a little bit. Not much, but mm-hmm. some. Um, I got one for hmm. you that's uh, super powerful. And wh- black bears. We, a lot of times on the show, we will go... We like animals a lot. But you got to be well, you got to watch out for a wild animal, right? A Canadian man is walking away with only scratches after fighting a 300-pound black bear. Ah. 61-year-old Rick Nelson was walking his dog when he stumbled across a bear cub. By the way, it's a trap. And I said he said I sat down on a log and the bear cub poked its head up out of a shrub nearby. It was so close I could touch it. It let out a little yelp. By the way, in bear talk, that means, Mommy! Yeah. And because I scared the heck out of it, I knew right away I was in trouble, he said. It call, it's calling for its mommy. Nelson, a former bear hunter, stood. Uh, so, he, so he understood what he needed to do here. He only had seconds to spare. The mother comes in at full speed. All you could hear was bush crashing. Yikes! Soon the bear was in front of Nelson, and it was up on its hind legs. I had no rocks, no sticks, he said, but he did have a lot of boxing practice. Hmm. Nelson tried to swing at the bear, but missed hitting it in the teeth. That's got to hurt. Ouch. The bear hit back, scratching Nelson across the chest and face. I knew Oof. it with the first swing. With, uh, when he made his first swing with the left, it was really going to be coming back at me with the right, hmm. because most bears are right-handed. Nelson Kinda, knew that. He's telegraphing punches is yeah, what totally. he's saying. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. He knew what was happening here. Nelson swung a second time. I had the perfect shot to take. I Bam! did... Bam! I did a, an underhand, I guess a cut. They like an uppercut, An right? uppercut. Wow. Hit him right in the snout. Caught him right in the nose. Which is the perfect place to hit a bear. Right. That's when the bear cub let out another squill and started to move away. Nelson said, now it was the moment of truth. What is this bear going to do? Is it going to follow the cub Ooh. or is it going to come after me? Mm. The mother bear turned around like a little baby bear would, <laughs> snorting blood out its nose and it looked at me and said in bear talk that only he could understand. Right. He's a bear hunter. I'll so. be back. I'll be back. And uh, I'm your worst nightmare. Walked away. Wait, bear that's walked a different away. movie. Rick Nelson, the first bear fighter to survive, now gold medal winner. Nice. Canadian gold fighting. medal winner. In bear fighting. Bear fighting. That, that, was, that was a dramatic read. Totally. I hung on most of what you said. The uppercut. When it got to the uppercut, that's when you knew it was business. Once a bear starts telegraphing their punches, yeah. you know you go with the uppercut. Yeah. Bada boom, pow! It's all over. That's good. It was a good story. I'm glad he was able to punch a bear in the face. Who fights with a bear? <laughs> I would have been in a curled little ball squealing Absolutely. like a pig. I guess you, I don't know. I mean, he's a bear hunter, so he realizes kind of that, you know, in the sense that he had a couple seconds to go, oh no, and then all of a sudden have to do something. Yeah, I think I think Rick's a little cocky though. A little bit, a little bit, a little overconfident. Like I knew he was going to come back with his right because yeah. bears are always right-handed. Right, you're thinking of that as this clause yeah. coming at you. He doesn't know if this bear, maybe this bear hurt its paw when it was a baby. Learned to learn to write left-handed. Could be ambidextrous. You don't know. He's an ambidextrous bear. Scary. He has a crazy left hook. You weren't yeah. expecting it, but he was able to survive. So good Again, on him. If a man can fight a bear and win, 
I think it would have been a different fight if the Cub hadn't been there. Yeah. That Cub saved Rick. Because bears do this thing. It's a flying, um, like, I don't know what they call it. It's a flying leap okay. where they leap and then they kick you. It's a it's a real martial arts move. It's a is, it the, is it the whole, like, crane technique from Karate Kid? It's like Kid? a crane technique, but wow. you leap. Yeah. You leap right into him. I think the okay. bear would have kicked him. And if he had gone down. Some sort of karate, kung fu, ninja, mm-hmm. master of yeah. a bear. I watch a lot of mixed martial arts. With bears? No, I've never oh. seen one with a bear. Okay. But a you're bar. just you're just assuming he was trained in some way. Yeah. Some sort of bear ninja. Yeah. Nice. But I think Rick's lucky. They should put signs up, bear ninja in the area, just to let people know. <laughs> 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 what they ought to put up is lead with an uppercut. Well, there's that. The bear's got a glass jaw. R- right-handed bears in the area. Just, I mean, just public <laughs> service. A uh, little advisory. Some of our bears are left-handed, in case some of you are thinking of fighting with them. Hey, a little rule for the rest of you. Don't fight with a bear. Let's add a few other things. Don't fight with a bison. Uh, don't fight with an elk, a moose. I wouldn't mess with any deer. Don't fight with anything in mating season. Just a little insight from Dr. Matt. We're here to help, folks. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be doing a little news flush. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. And uh, this segment is a segment we do because Terry and I have to rifle through news all the time. And some news at one moment seems like, oh, that's really interesting. We ought to share that. And then as the shows go on, we don't ever share it. So we have a big pile of unshared news, and we've got to flush it. One has to flush their news. So, Terry, we'll start with you. What story needs to get out there but should be flushed? I've been sharing this uh, with you off the air Mm -hmm. about how much TV is actually out there. How many shows are are all these networks and streaming networks and, you know, cable networks making? Uh, They're having these uh, television critics uh, association meetings out in Los Angeles. All the broadcast TV companies are coming in and saying these are our new shows for the fall. The uh, CEO of FX comes in, and each year he talks about how many shows are on TV. He told a TV critics meeting on Tuesday, scripted shows premiering this year should reach about 450 for broadcast cable and streaming services and near or exceed 200 or uh, exceed 500 in 2017. He says a key driver in the streaming sector is Netflix, which he says has premiered or announced 71 scripted series, Ooh. a number he said excludes documentary, late night, or non-English language shows. Wow. So there's even more than 71. 71. On so, Netflix. On Netflix. He goes, by comparison, broadcast networks including NBC, ABC, and CBS air about 150 scripted series together, pay cables at 50, and basic cables at 180. Wow. I guess his his main point is there's too much TV to watch. There, nobody can consume all this, and there's some of it that just never gets seen. Oh. So at what point are we just throwing money down the drain making shows that no one ever watches? Yeah. And what and so there needs to be – he's looking for a great uh, contraction of TV networks 
<laughs> just they'll just disappear from the dial because How can nobody's you afford watching to otherwise yeah you end up just throwing money and not getting anything back i mean there's so. some that are fantastic but there's a lot that aren't a lot are just garbage so we need to flush it flush it there speaking of flushing uh the yankees are they, they got a little they got a little goodbye party going on here For alex t- rodriguez today. yes last at bat Ever. He hasn't actually been at bat in several weeks, but yes. They'll put him out there, and they'll let him hit. And I'm sure, as did Jeter, hmm. he'll hit some phenomenal last shot that just or not puts him into Maybe he just gets up there, strikes out, and goes and sits down. Here's the news, though. A-Rod, the Yankees will have ended up paying A-Rod $317 million yes. for one World Series title. Uh, they got to the playoffs. He he played yeah. well, and they just didn't have a team, you know, with him. They had one team that made it. Yeah, uh, one hundred and thirty-two million is what he's supposed to get paid. Uh, the luxury tax caused by his deal totaled an additional one hundred and thirty-two million. Yes. So his luxury taxes on his and I guess everyone else's mm-hmm. pushed the Yankees to have to pay an additional one hundred thirty-two million. Yeah. He's the, an expensive player. Yes. Hundred or three hundred and seventeen million worth it? Probably not. Yeah, he he's been a kind of a headache, and there's been a lot of selfishness, and there was a whole situation where he may or may not have tra- been involved in trafficking drugs from Canada, and who knows what happened. By the way, the Yankees aren't the only ones that paid. He also was paid one hundred nineteen million from Texas. Twelve million from Seattle, totaling four hundred and forty-eight million dollars for one ball player. Yes, something seems wrong. It's Something's the askew. it's called the going rate. He could get that money because it, he was one of the better players, and that was the top end of the market. Except in the end, he wasn't one of the better players. It doesn't matter what happens at the end. It happens when they sign you. What is that's, the current reality now? That's the gamble we call professional sports. So flush it. See you, Mr. Rodriguez. I don't know. LeBron signed a $100 million three-year contract yesterday. First time ever, right, that he's going to be the highest paid player in the NBA. Yes. Big deal. We talked earlier in the week about ridiculous sports that were part of the Olympics and now aren't. Mm-hmm. Yes, that was Remember fun. that story? Mm-hmm, totally. One of them, I believe, was live pigeon shooting. Was That, that was one of the ones <laughs> yeah, you brought up. That's and a hard one. That one was taken away because, you know, <laughs> let's just Blah. shoot pigeons, I guess. Um, there's one here called distance plunging. And the idea behind the sport was to jump, a diver would jump in the water and coast underwater without limb movement for either 60 seconds or until they surfaced. And whoever could go the longest without move, you know, just so you jump in the water and stay still and just glide under the water for as long as you could go. And whoever went the furthest would that, win. That was a competition? Yeah. So like distance diving or something. Wow. But that was discontinued long ago. Uh, dueling pistols. Uh, <laughs> How'd back that go? During the 1906 Interclated Games held in Athens, it was uh, proved the committee members weren't winners when it came to event titles. Uh, no dueling pistols were ever involved in the contest. Instead, competitors shot a pl- at plaster dummies dressed in coats from several meters away. What? Yeah. Uh, the strangeness aside, a poll conductor prior to the 2000 Games in Sydney found that nearly one in three people wanted to see that event brought back. 
So you're dueling, but you're yeah. not dueling with a live person. It's just a, a, a target, basically. So well, we've already talked about it might be a great presidential winnowing process. Yeah, and they mentioned that at the beginning. Aaron Burr and Alexander Ham- Hamilton showed that that could be a Started process. Started back then. Could be used. Tandem bike was an Olympic event <laughs> from 1908 to 1972. So you had two people on a bike that and they'd race 4,000 meters while fighting amongst themselves. They're just making stuff That up actually sounds like something more from the senior games. Yeah. Where you'd have grandma and grandpa on the tandem, and then they'd fight when they end the when they end the race. The final one was solo synchronized swimming. <laughs> Go, Jimmy! Yeah, wasn't there also setting a spell and whittling? Weren't those a couple of them? <laughs> I'm just going to set a spell here. So those are some more sports. Okay, we'll flush those Olympics. sports. We do not want those. Here's the question du jour: Why do swimmers wear two swim caps? I don't know why. Uh, because one cap's not enough. Because the first cap... One for the show, two for... No, go ahead. Yeah, one for the money. Two for the show. The first cap is used... There's two reasons, apparently. Okay. One cap is makes it so... Um, it's It kind of holds the hair in. and mm-hmm. But the second cap... But it's got bubbles and creases in it. Right. So they're not aerodynamic. Mm. The second cap then can be placed over the first cap. And by double capping, you get... A smooth, aerodynamic glide head. Huh. So they're they're probably two different types of caps. Then. Yes, they and and they are. And the the, the, you'll the see. second one's probably even more, uh, probably stretch on. And so I would say a half down. size smaller. Interesting. The second reason, to keep their goggles on. Duh. Okay. So that you put the goggles in between. Uh huh. Okay. That and makes it's, sense. And it and it keeps a nice, tight fit. Okay. Why people needed to know that, yeah. but it was big on the Twitter sphere. What's go. with the double cap? By the way, I think personally, environmentally, it's not as it's not as healthy because we're 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 having two, or we could have one. Like when they ask you, do you want me to double bag your groceries? No, no. Nor should you double cap your head when swimming. Just a personal thing. Uh, so flush it, flush it. You, what else you got, Terry? You've heard of uh, 3D printers. Oh, yeah. We can make all kinds of plastic, whatever doohickeys you need for whatever reason. Um, in uh, Michigan State University, professor built a set of 10 digits from a, a, a man that had died. He what? 3D printed the guy's fingers so Ooh. the police could test his phone. But he was dead. Dead. So he took a how, – how do you – So according to this uh, report, the man was murdered. Officials believe there may have been information on his phone that could lead to the killer. But with, as with most modern handsets, it's protected by fingerprint recognition and a passcode. The victim body was reportedly not in a state that would allow law enforcement to simply apply his finger to the phone to, to access the fingerprint reader. So bypassing the smartphone – uh, all to, and they manufacture and all that stuff we heard about with Apple and the FBI were trying to break through some encryption issues. So hmm. they took this man's fingerprints that were on file, they had them 3D printed, and they were able to take that 3D printed image of the man's fingerprint and place it on the phone and open his phone. That doesn't seem right. They said they covered the all. They covered the uh, the 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 3D printed version of the fingerprints with a thin layer of metallic particles, so the handset can read the individual markings. And it opened the guy's phone. Really? Okay, I believe that. 
I'm totally with you on that. How about this one? Flush that one, by the way. Get rid of those guys' fingers. They're giving me the creeps. Uh, Baby talk. You're going to need to listen up for this one, Terry. Um, Baby talk. You're going to have to talk like a baby. No, you don't do that. Who's the baby? Talk to your child as if they're they're just a normal adult human. Baby talk can actually improve a child's language skills. No. Yes, it can. Yes, it can. Baby talk or the high-pitched sing-song voice parents use, which I can hardly wait to hear you use. I don't do that. It's beneath me. It helps the children learn their language faster, according to research out of Rutgers. Really? The best way to help a baby learn might actually be to follow many parents' instincts and use mother ease, as they call it, a sing-songy voice that exaggerates the sounds the baby hears. Hmm. Now, let's practice, Terry. Uh, a little sing-songy. Who the baby? <laughs> Do it with me, Terry. Say, who the baby? No, thanks. <gasps> you the biggest baby. You seem to be doing well. You. <gasps> oh. You got to breathe in fast. I was playing with my grandbaby last night. Oh, oh! There's another baby. That's evil baby. Now starting to mess with happy baby. Oh, he's grabbing happy baby's lip. But it's the greatest thing because I when you you just parrot their sounds and then they mimic them back and then they parrot. Oh, it's fantastic. Okay, do you want to try it? No, 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 no. We're okay. I believe you. Well, how are you going to learn this if we don't? I'll figure it out. We could role play. Just like I've done with parenting all, all along the way, I'll figure it out. We'll have Jeff be the baby. No, it's fine. We don't need to role play this one. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Flush it then. Flush it. Still true. All right. We'll take a break, folks. When we come back, we've got a game to play. Olympic facts or fiction. We're going to see if we can, uh, if they can stump me on names of Olymp- Olympic athletes. <laughs> Highly doubt it. I've watched one-tenth of the Olympics already. Stick with me. We're getting there, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, all you Olympic fans. Fact or fiction is the name of the game. We're going to start right out. We got a fun game, and Caitlin Thomas is joining us to help us Hello. figure out, is it a factual name or is it fictitious? Have we made it up? Right. Well, uh, these names aren't made up. These are names of actual people, From... but they may or may not be an Olympian. Okay. Piece of cake. Piece of cake. Are you ready? Yes. Here we go. Are you going to give me... Their name. Don't just give me their name, but give me their sport, no, don't too. Worry. Yeah, we have. Okay, good. Victor Brommer is a male swimmer for Denmark who competed with Michael Phelps in the 200-meter butterfly. They call him the Bonds Brommer, and that is false. That is true. What? He's Denmark. He competed with Michael Phelps. <sighs> Victor Brommer. True. I think, I think that was actually the name. Fact. That's the name of the lifeguard is Victor Brommer. Oh. Okay. Oh, okay. Number okay. two. Kate Shepard is the name of one of the athletes competing on New Zealand's Rugby Sevens team. Kate Shepard? Kate Shepard. I will go with true. False. (laughs) Kate Shepard is the name of the woman who led the women's suffrage movement in New Zealand. (laughs) Close, though. I thought it sounded familiar. So, I mean, Kate Shepard kind of paved the way for rugby. Okay, these names are hard. Danielle Leva is an alternate for the USA male gymnastics team. Leva. I hardly know her. Yes, true. True. I knew that. Bing. I read a story about 
Mrs. Leva. Or Miss Leva. Well, that's the male team. Oh, is it a man? Not a big deal, though. That wasn't the question. Ava Wilson won the gold medal for Australia in the 4x100 meter freestyle relay. What country? Australia. Ava Wilson. Wilson. The 4x100 relay. Relay. I will go with negative. Negative. Her name's actually Madison Wilson. (laughs) Absolutely. But Ava is the number one popular name for women in Australia. Is it really right now? Yeah. Wow. Ava. Ava. So there you go. That's cool. You're doing better on these this are, than I thought. Of course. These are hard. Easy. Okay. Adam Petty from England took the gold in the men's 100 meter breaststroke last week. England. The gold? No. They yes. don't swim in England. That's false. <laughs> That's true. We watched him win. Did you watch him win? Nope. English Channel, apparently. That one was easy. They must swim in the channel. Oh, Tim Aker took third for England in cycling. Tim Aker? Tim Aker. Took third for England in cycling. Mm-hmm. Fact or fiction? Aker. Does that sound like a cyclist? I'm an Aiken Aker. I'm going with yes. False. Tim Aker is a member of the European Parliament. <sighs> Chris, Chris Froome, I think? Froome. Road for England. By the way, that's a great name. Froome. 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 I'm not sure that's how you say it, but... Go Froome. But if it is, it's really good. Tim Aker's in Parliament, though. That's cool. Here's your last one. Okay. Bob Bowman is the name of Michael Phelps' coach. Bob Bowman. Bob Bowman. I saw him. I think. They kept showing a man. Uh, Bob Bowman. I'm going with... Yes. True. <laughs> so easy. I was six for six. No, not quite. You did. I think you got about half, though. That was fun. That was fun. Look what we learned today. Tim Ackerman's in the, the European Parliament. The names are hard. Not I'm not a name person. I don't remember I know. names. Neither do I. Names are hard. And I didn't do popular names. I was being mean. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for not doing anybody except Michael Phelps that I could have known. I didn't want to do you any favors. Thank you. Caitlin Thomas, you did it again. Yeah, we'll take a break. We'll come back with our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Stick with us, folks. We're wrapping it up. We're going to turn it over to the good guys down there. Be, be right back. BYU Radio. Get recharged at BYU Education Week. I love the feeling that I get when I come here. It's wonderful from start to finish. Education Week classes run from August 15th to the 19th. To register, visit us online at educationweek.byu.edu. I take away a stronger testimony, a greater desire to live it. BYU Education Week, a thousand ways to renew, refresh, recharge. More power to you. I'm Bob Carson with the Discovery Files. New advances in science and engineering from the National Science Foundation. The Northeast Power Blackout of 2003. Millions powerless. The more recent Super Blackout Bowl, caused, oddly enough, by a device put into place to prevent blackouts. Most of us don't think about power or the power grid until we're in an outage. Scientists at Northwestern University are thinking about it and have developed guidelines for what could be described as a self-healing power grid. For the U.S. power grid to function, the generators in the country's three interconnections, Eastern, Western, and Texas, must be synchronized, all operating at the same frequency of 60 hertz. If generators go out of sync, serious blackouts can occur. 
to restore power, control devices are used to bring the generators back to a synchronized state. But it's like giving medicine to a sick patient. Now, the scientists have identified ways to help keep the patient from getting sick in the first place. Ways to keep the grid stable and in sync. They demonstrated their model using real power grids of hundreds of power generators. The researchers say this preventive care approach could avoid failures, make the grid more reliable and more capable, and even help reduce electricity costs. Some powerful stuff. The Discovery Files covers projects with federal funding from the government's National Science Foundation. Learn more at nsf.gov. Welcome back, friends. A little party music for the uh, the duo that parties hardier than anyone else. Let's shoot it down to our good buddies at BYU Sports Nation. Hello, gentlemen. Yo, what up? What Jeremy up? Here, Spencer will be here momentarily. Are you? Do you like to party? My name's Rod. I like to party. <laughs> my name's Rod. I like to party. From one of my favorite movies, entitled you, Hot Rod. You, you, by the way. Yeah. You don't need Spencer right now. Spencer. I always need Spencer. Is Spencer shaving? My dude. Um, he's shaving. He was it? shaving. Is he eating now? He's he's probably eating his yogurt. Uh, he brings it in and then consumes it on the desk, what which is technically against the rules. But <laughs> I know, I know. Technicalities. Who's who's into that? This place doesn't care about technicalities. Are you are you kidding me? Did you watch the Olympics last night? Oh yeah, dude. I I went to dinner and then I came back, and uh, I watched the U.S. Uh, so I watched swimming, which oh, yeah. I, I enjoyed thoroughly. Very cool, Simone Manuel, mm. uh, first African American swimmer from the that US. was so Female cool. Ever win uh, yep. gold or medal? I think yeah, which was amazing. Um, Michael Phelps, of course, it was amazing. Uh, but the one that stuck out the most, I'm super invested in USA volleyball because Taylor Sander, BYU grad, plays with them. They upset Brazil in four sets, and that Brazil's number one team in the world on their home court. U.S. had lost first two matches. They needed a win, and All they right. got it. Are you kidding? They got it. it I didn't know awesome. this. One of the best volleyball matches I've ever seen. Spencer's now here. I had my own Olympic event last night, Matt. What were you doing? I was building my five-year-old's bed. <gasps> Ooh, Ikea? Nope. We <laughs> ordered it from Amazon. Okay. It came in two enormous boxes, mm-hmm. and it became an Olympic challenge. So now your knuckles are bleeding. To put that stupid... Wonderful thing together. But for your beautiful son. His reaction was worth it. That's His reaction cute. happened at like 1230 in the morning. Really? Yes. Hold it. Really? Yes. Well, that seems like bad parenting. Uh, kind of, right? <laughs> so you were up all night. You thought yes. this would be a couple hours thing, an hour maybe? Oh, yeah. And I had help too. Yeah. I, I had a buddy come over and help me do it. And it was, uh, yeah. So Jax walked into his room a little after midnight and was like, <laughs> yeah. Daddy. And then he's like, can we read some books? And I'm like, no. Go to bed. It's Friday. <laughs> Daddy's sick of you. <laughs> Whenever I say that, he looks at me and he's like, well, I'm just going to be a little upset then, okay? Oh, man. That's a hard night. <laughs> you need some sleep. <laughs> Isn't that uh, funny? Jerem watched sports and you made you put a bed together. Well, here's the thing. like The bed process being was made a little bit slower because of what Team USA Volleyball was doing. Oh, was you like, were. What's happening? I can hear exciting things. That is pretty amazing, guys. Loud noises! <laughs> I love loud noises! How did Taylor do? He had seven kills. Offensively, he's not been his best. He was okay offensively, but he had a team high, three blocks, five digs, and then he had two aces, one in the fourth set in a crucial moment. 
Ah. So he brought it. His brother, Brendan, who plays on the BYU men's volleyball team, he'll be a junior. He was there, and NBC showed him a couple of times, which is pretty cool. Holy cow. So a huge win for USA Volleyball, which they, they needed. To, uh, there's six teams in each group, the top four advance. So the U.S. had lost the first two, meaning if they had lost that one, they probably uh, were going to be done. So they pulled off a huge upset. So That's awesome. So they played France on Sunday, and then I believe Mexico on Tuesday. Man, alive. Let's See, go. I didn't even know I missed that. Watch the Cougs, baby. Goodness gracious. Cool. Okay. So th- that was a good night. Anything else? Um, I have an idea. If you guys want to name one, uh, if you have a, n- another baby and it's a girl, I think Simone's the name. Did yes, you notice? How, how do you spell it? S-I-M-O-N-E. Simone. That is correct. Two gold medals last night. Very nice. Different Simones. Both from Houston. Are they really? See, I got to watch more. Yes. That's amazing. You had to check. If it's the neighborhood Houston in New York, it's pronounced Houston. I just want to get that out there. Okay. Yeah, just in case there are New Yorkers listening. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. I get that. Mm -hmm. You're huge in New York. I know. (laughs) Huge! What else is going on uh, on your show? What will you be showing or sharing with us today? Absolutely nothing. Okay, moving on then. thinking about canceling the show. (laughs) Oh, we're going to do it? Sweet. Let's still do it. What's going to happen first? The Big 12 expands or BYU names starting quarterback? (laughs) Plus, the latest in the Big 12 news. So there's some reports from uh, the Dallas Morning News and ESPN about how many teams the league is leaning towards an expansion. And the timetable. Whoa. We'll tell you coming up. Holy cow. Any any, Any interviews with... In Rio, anything you doing anything Olympic-y? Oh, we always update you on the Cougars in the Olympics. Kay. Every single day. I know Plus, you are. Algie Brown, uh, fullback from BYU, uh-huh. senior fullback. And uh, John Brooks, the BYU swim coach. He's going to weigh in on uh, USA swimming, what we're seeing from Phelps and Ledecky and everybody. And Plus, are there any Cougars that could be swimming in Tokyo in 2020? There you go. Wow. We're really thinking ahead. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we're in the middle of the Olympics. We couldn't possibly just think about these Olympics. No, no, no. Why just project. why settle with what we have right now for another week? Because the future right. is greater than the present. <laughs> what? What are there? Will there be any photos of the brand new bed? The unveiling of the bed? It's already out there on Instagram. We we Instagram. Uh, we posted his reaction last night. Oh! I edited the video on iMovie and sent it out. I want to see your reaction, quite honestly. <laughs> Sometime shortly thereafter, one thirty in the morning, I dozed off on the couch <laughs> and you went to your happy place I, for for a very short time i get it i understand <laughs> you guys you're the best we got to let you go i know you got a big show and you got to wax and get all prepared so yeah, we're ready by the way i think you were waking up when i was falling asleep really something like that yeah. next time let's do breakfast <laughs> don't you have to be here at like 3 a.m <laughs> yeah i'm supposed to be but i i usually get here a little later than that that's 6.30. Hey, guys, have a great show. Knock them dead. Peace. Thanks, Peace out, yo. That's cool. That's super cool. Well, we will, uh, I guess, uh, take a break. Come right back and uh, wrap up this show, folks. Man, it's it's the end of a week. I'm going to miss you. Stick with us. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, who hasn't wanted to just have a little break from work, even longer maybe than you're possibly 
your vacation time would permit. Well, there are two men that skipped out on work, and uh, I think they may have. Uh, I think they may have pushed it a little too far. A driver and a gardener managed to skip shifts for up to 15 years before the council where they worked noticed. The two men from a town in southern Spain have been fired after their employer's human resources department discovered that neither of them had turned up for a day of work during 2015 or 2016. HR then investigated the men and found a whole lot uh, more absences. The town hall said two representatives of the General Confederation of Labor Union, also known as the CGT, could have gone years without coming to work, according to a written statement by the men themselves. This situation could date back 15 years. How do you get away with that? I have been trying to figure that out for my 25 (laughs) years of working as an adult. 15 years, and I guess they probably, I don't know, you probably show up a little bit, you know. Hey, oh, I'll fix that. Fix it. Maybe they pulled an Alcatraz, (laughs) put some mannequins in there. Yeah. Oh, he's asleep in the cot. I think the problem was, and this is the problem with a lot of um, maybe bureaucracy, is that uh, we have too many people and not enough I don't know accountability. Like, so what is what? What are John and Jimmy doing? Who? <laughs> Who is in charge of pulling the curtain once a year for that one event? That's John. But then, if you're a higher up, you don't want to admit that you don't know who they are. Well, what that might show us is the higher up himself was not paying attention, and if his boss didn't know he wasn't on it, then the higher higher up, then you get to the C-suite. Then it's to the president. Then everybody's embarrassed. So just keep letting John and Jimmy do their thing. Anyway, don't try it, folks. It's better to just put in an honest day's work, right? Or, you know, don't get caught. Hey, here's a hero of the day. You, uh, the United Kingdom teacher Carl Thompson is our hero. Listen to this story. He, a teacher has been hailed as a hero after steering a bus full of students to safety when the driver collapsed at the wheel on a rush hour highway. When two school assistants noticed that the bus driver was drifting and not responding, they were able to remove him from the seat before the bus crashed. So this rolling bus, you pull the bus driver out, he's having a problem. Carl Thompson sprung into action as the vehicle, which was carrying 45 students, was heading to Alton Towers Amusement Park in Staffordshire, England, for a field trip. Oh, that would have ruined the trip. Holy cow. Nobody was injured during the incident, and incredibly, no other vehicles were even involved. School principal Joe Sellers said, It's an amazing story. Mr. Thompson's actions have prevented what could have been a very, very serious accident. He would not describe himself as a hero because he is a very unassuming man, but his actions were definitely heroic. What all the staff did was incredible. See, folks, just paying attention sometimes. Paying attention, being willing to step up and uh, remove a body that's driving a bus but is obviously not paying attention. Taking over, saving the 45 lives. That's that, my friends, is a hero. And again, everybody can be a hero. You are a hero to somebody. But maybe the key that we've learned today is it's time to pay attention. We talked about solitude in the second hour, and maybe the goal of all of us should be, let's go find some time to to actually reconnect to life, to make it worth living, 
some time away from tech, uh, maybe just being present with those we love. Sometimes just being there is the best hero uh, place to find the hero. That's the show. Again, we're here Monday through Friday, 9 to noon Eastern time. We can't do the show without you, but uh, we'd love you to be a part of it. If you missed any segments, you want to go track them down, go to iTunes, go to TuneIn, go to BYURadio.org, always to find it. Look us up on Twitter, on any of the social media sites, on Facebook, on Instagram. Check out my website, matttownsend.com. We'll be back Monday, folks. And uh, please, be there to join us. Until Monday, though, make it a great one. Take care of each other. We'll talk again Monday.